uh, I signed up on my email over on campus, and then I just finally yeah. decided to come. <laughs> I literally saw the email like 10 minutes ago, so. Well, I hope you don't. I hope you don't regret it. I'm interested so far. Yeah. We're going to talk about friendship, the art of friendship. And so um, before we get started, uh, does everybody have a piece of paper? Uh, okay. Something to write with and something to write on. And so let me ask you a couple of questions and be thinking about it. You don't have to do it right this minute, but as I go along, but there's the questions I'd like to, and these are anonymous. You know, we're not going to say, hey, that guy over there said, you know, it's just completely anonymous. Um, one question is, do you think you're a good friend? Would you recommend yourself to someone as a friend? If someone said, I'm really looking for a friend, would you say, I'm your guy or gal? You know, or, uh, yeah, do you, consider, do you think of yourself as a good friend? Uh, number two, do you have good friends? And I'm talking really good friends. You know, I'm talking the kind of people you can call in the middle of the night if you're stranded out in the middle of, you're stranded between Oral Valley and Globe. You've been on that road 77 where it's doing like that. You're out there in the middle of nowhere. So somebody you can call and say, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm out here <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning, you know, and have them say, hey, <laughs> no problem. I'll be right there. So uh, this is called in Sanskrit, shurid. Krishna says, shuridam sarva bhutanam meaning that I am the dearmost friend and ever well-wisher. You know, in Sanskrit, there's uh, terms. One of them is the, um, uh, the bandhu. Bandhu, uh, bandhu is uh, like an official friend, like your uncle. He's not your friend, but he's your uncle, so he's kind of your friend, you see? So, you know, he's, not your, he's just officially, he's my friend. And then another is a, a Mitra. Mitra is a casual friend. Someone that you say hi to, you know, like a neighbor. You say, hi, how you doing? Good to see you. And uh, very casual. But then the Shurid is the guy that you could call for anything. And they wouldn't, uh, you don't have to explain and beg them. And yeah, I'll be right there. I'm out. How much bail money do I need to bring? You know, like that. That was supposed to be funny, but I guess they've, these guys have all been to jail, you know. They're <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. Uh, and then, um, Yeah, uh, tell me, what do you think is the easiest way to make friends? Easiest and best way to make friends. So, if you would, and if you don't, you don't have to participate. So, it's just that if you don't, you won't get anything to eat later. But if you do... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Now, let's talk about this. Is there an art? I've given this class many times before through the years, many different parts of the world, and a lot of people say, is there, is there really an art to friendship? Isn't it, isn't it natural? You know, kind of happens. You're, you're out someplace and you meet somebody and heck, before you know it, you're friends. Well, that's true. That does happen, you see. Uh, but what makes that happen? What makes people decide to become friends? Now, in the material world, a lot of times, and I'm not pointing the finger at any one person in here, uh, but a lot of times what happens is when your uh, neuroses match up. You know, <laughs> you meet someone that you're a little crazy and they're a little crazy. You know, like uh, people who, uh, I don't know what it's like, but when I was in business, people weren't allowed to smoke in their office building. So they would smoke uh, out on the loading dock or, you know, out in front of the building. You know, you have to go outside to smoke. So you meet the guys out there, the smokers would meet. And so if you're out there smoking a cigarette and another guy's out there smoking a cigarette, it's not likely that the other guy that's smoking a cigarette is going to say, you idiot, you're crazy for doing this. Don't you know you're killing yourself? You know, no. He's going to think, hey, and you smoke the same brand I do, you know? So I'm a little crazy because I do this. And you're a little crazy and it matches up, so... Or like if I like to do uh, if I like to do heroin, if you like to do heroin and I like to do heroin, then you're not going to think I'm an idiot for doing the heroin thing, you know. And I'm not going to criticize you. How can I sit and do heroin with you and then go tell people, you know, that idiot over there he does heroin? <laughs> See, no, we do it so that we share this. If I like to. Uh, Go to a sports bar and throw back a bunch of beers, and you do too. And we have some things that match up, you know, some sports, whatever. Uh, so a lot of times friends come from uh, some of our nonsensical habits that we have. We share this with other people, and they become friends, you know. Uh, closer friend, you know. Now, they're not really the best friends you're ever going to have, normally. Because uh, what happens if, if you have a friend who's, who smokes with you and, and you decide to quit smoking? That's about all you had in common, you see. So, you see what I mean? You do heroin with a guy and you quit doing heroin and then, you see. So, these are kind of like artificial friends. These friendships that are like a house of cards in a way. Uh, I see you as a good friend so long as I get from you what it is that I'm getting from you. You see, uh, I get some gratification from your association, personal gratification. And so I'm trying to enjoy you, you see. And maybe we enjoy each other's association because of something that we kind of share. But it's not necessarily because I really care for you or care a lot about you. Does that make any sense? This is common in the world. All right. So 
there are different levels of friendship. There are some uh, some friends that you make, and they're there for life. You're not, they're, you're, you know they're never going to go away. Then there's never even a test to the friendship. You see, so this is the shuri, the shuri, the best friend, the dear most friend. So. Um, So what about friendship? Is it an art? So what do you think? Anybody? Is, it a, is, it, is there an art to it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then it's one. It's it's an art that you learn, and then you don't have to remember it ever. It just becomes part of the way you deal with other people. So it's like you. Many of you've heard me say a million times, or. Maybe not that many, but a lot. It may seem like a million. If you are out in the world looking for a friend, you may find that the friends are few and far between. Most people will agree with that. But if you go out in the world to be a friend, you're going to have lots of them. You're going to have tons of friends, you see. So the art of friendship is not to go looking for a friend. You just go be a friend. Be a friend to everyone. Don't be attached to whether they become your friend or not. You go be a friend. You, know? you be that friend that Krishna says he is to you. Krishna says, Suridam Sarvabhutanam. I am the dearmost friend of all living entities, my dear most friend and ever well-wisher, I wish you all well, you see. So he says that in, in Bhagavad Gita, that's the fifth chapter, 29th verse, I think, where he says that. Uh, then we fast forward to the 12th chapter, which you guys just finished studying. So in the 12th chapter, in the 13th and 14th verses, Krishna says, in regards to friendship, uh, although he doesn't mention the word friendship, you can tell where he's going with this. Krishna says, one who is not envious, but is a kind friend to all living entities, and who does, does not think himself a proprietor, and is free of, from false ego, who is equal in both happiness and distress, who is tolerant, always satisfied, self-controlled, and engaged in devotional service with determination. His mind and intelligence fixed on me. Such a, a devotee of mine is very dear to me. He's very dear to me. He's acting like a friend to everyone, and that makes him very dear to me. So what is he saying here? One who is not envious. First qualification that Krishna lays down to be a friend. Don't be envious. Now I'm not saying it's okay to be envious to one person and not, the, uh, not others, but don't be envious, period. Don't envy anybody. You know, you gotta stop yourself if you ever do find yourself getting into an envious situation. Stop, tell yourself, halt, back up. Don't do that again, don't be envious. You see, enviousness is not good for you, and it's not good for 
It's not good for society. It's not good for the world. The things that destroy relationships in the world are envy, anger, lust, and greed. You take those all away, you've got a harmonious world. But we struggle because of these elements. And envy, Krishna mentions that first in this. One who is not envious, but is a kind friend to all living entities. Not just the human beings. You can't be uh, a kind friend to all humans, but you're rotten to animals. You see, then you would be a speciesist. <laughs> I prefer one species over another. You know, I think you're the same species as me, so I think you have rights. But these garbage little creatures over here, they're a different species than them. I can deny their rights. You see, their rights to. I feel like I have life, liberty, and are entitled to pursue happiness. But I don't think the animals do. No, no, they do too. They're living entities. They're, they're spirit souls just like you. They're just in <coughs> a different body right now, you see. So a kind friend to all living entities. And one who does not think himself a proprietor. Uh, in the material world, you know, if, if you fly... If you fly over the United States or any country, I've flown over most of them, and you look down, I think you probably noticed, there aren't any lines painted down there. You know, it's hard to tell when you fly from Arizona in, into Utah or New Mexico. You can't tell unless you see a lake or something, or a certain mountain range or something. You can't tell, you see. That uh, this sense of proprietorship that we have a, a, a tendency to place on things, well, who is the source of everything? The source of everything is God. Everything comes from God. So everything really and truly does belong to him, you see. And I may possess it, but am I the proprietor? I, I can say yes if I say, well, the dear Lord has given me this vehicle to use in his service, so I have to take very good care of it. And it's under my care. So he didn't place it under your care, but I'll give you a ride if you need a ride, but I may not lend it to you, but I'm not entitled to do that. But I am entitled to realize that this is mercy of the Lord, that I have this. And I use it, I engage it in his service. So I take very good care of it, you know, and I have all respect for it. But I can't think, hey man, my ride looks a lot better than yours. Look at that jalopy you've got, man. Mine can outrun you, you know. You see, that's kind of like a false sense of proprietorship. My house is prettier than yours. My house is bigger than yours. My car is faster than yours. You see what I mean? That gets, that gets us into envy, anger, lust, and greed. You see? And whenever you go there, you don't ever come back unscathed. You don't come back 
without some scratches. You see, you can't do that. There's going to be some difficulty if you enter into um, if you if you enter into anger. Uh, actually, even medical science agrees that when you become angry, your body gives off certain hormones or chemicals or whatever. I forget what they are because I'm old and I can't remember these things. You know, there's words this long and I read them like, yeah, I'm going to remember that. So, but it gives off these things to, to give you, like adrenaline is one of them, but other things to give you a boost. You know, that's why when you get angry, you find yourself, you know, like ready to get in somebody's face. And that is poisoning. It, it, it even leaves you with a little bit of a hangover. Whenever you get over your anger, you don't feel so good. You know? You don't you don't think, wow, that was great. Did you see how angry I was? Man, oh, I want to do that again. You kind of feel like, you see. So um, things like anger need to be avoided. You see, you have to do that. If, you're gonna, if you want to live a happy and productive life, and if you're going to have friends, you see, Angry people are not attractive as far as people you want to hang out with. You know? People that you would count as uh, friends that you want to, that you trust. They have anger issues, and it doesn't take a lot of an anger issue to make it a, a, a big issue. Does that make any sense? So we we need to, that's one thing we need to tackle. We need to handle our anger, and we'll describe. Uh, discuss how to do that. So anger uh, comes from uh, one of the things that can give you anger is when you have a false sense of proprietorship. My stuff is better than yours. And if anybody challenges it, it's going to make you angry. So, okay. And one who is free from false ego. What does that mean, false ego? What's Krishna saying here? There is ego, and there's false ego. Like identifying yourself solely with this yeah. sin of your spirit. That's the that's the real definition to that. Uh, it's not thinking you're better than someone else. That comes with having the false ego of identifying that you are this body. You see, if I identify that I am this body, that means you're that body. So now I have all these things to compare that I might be better than you. So I have some false sense of proprietorship that I have something you don't. Well, I'm older and wiser than Sergey. Well, I can be envious. Well, he's younger and better looking. You see what I mean? Don't you hate Sergey? You know? Oh, well, he, think, he thinks he's so young and handsome. He never said that, but it happens. You see, it happens in your head. So when we start to compare bodies, uh, I'm, a, I'm a large male, you're a small female. Therefore, I get the right to dominate over you. I have dominance. You see what I mean? Because I'm a male. 
I'm also older than you. You see what I mean? If we compare bodies, I don't like the color of your body. Your color of your body doesn't match any of the people that I grew up with in my household. So there's got to be something about that color of, the, of this body of yours. You see what I mean? Uh, a lot, when we start comparing these bodies, then peace amongst us starts to break down. Now, how do we overcome that? What is real ego, not false? What is real ego? Real ego is, I am part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. I'm his part and parcel, and so are you, you see? And therefore, we're really on an equal situation. Doesn't matter uh, what species you are, what sex you are, what culture you come from, I'm not my body, I'm an eternal soul. You're not your body, you're an eternal soul. Eternal means we've always existed and we always will exist. You see, I'm in one body now and you're in another, but in last lifetime, who knows what kind of body we were in, you see? So it's childish. Spiritually, it's immature. If we can't get beyond my bodily identification, It'll cause us difficulties. And, and the problem is, it's ingrained in us to think like that. Because I really think I'm my body, and you really think you're your body, and we have these difficulties. That's the hardest thing to overcome in pursuing spiritual life, this thought that I am my body. You know, I mean, we can sit and have this discussion, and then I've done this so many times, I ask people, Show of hands, how many people believe you have a soul? So how many people believe you have a soul? All right, the rest of them have learned. <laughs> no, you don't have a soul. If you have a soul, then who is this you that has a soul? Who and what is this you? You see what I mean? No, you are the soul. That's you. You don't have a soul, where, where, where is it? Where do you keep it? Do you keep it on your keychain or something? Or maybe you left it on the nightstand when you got up this morning, you don't know. You are the soul and you have a body. You, the soul, have a body. It's not you, the body, has a soul. When the soul leaves the body, the body starts to uh, decompose. The elements of the body start to break down. You're what's holding everything up. You're this light that's within the body, the energy that makes this thing stay together, it makes these, these cells stay together. And you move it and you work it and you do it, but you're not it, you see. So this is very difficult to overcome because after millions and billions of lifetimes of us really believing that we are these bodies, it's hard to get over that, you see, but it's not impossible. We can do it. Once you make progress along those lines, everything changes. The way you see other people, the way you see the animals, the way you deal with uh, those that you encounter, you see, no one is better than anybody. We're all part and parcel of Krishna. 
part and parcel of God. You see? That doesn't mean we are him, but we are part and parcel. We're the same, uh, we're the same spiritual DNA as God. You see, if you ran a DNA test, you can't tell us from him. We're made of the same stuff as God. But he is the complete whole and we're the part and parcel, you see. So if we can come to that realization, meaning that we understand, believe it, we realize it, it changes the way you relate with the world and all of the entities in it. The relationship between all living entities gets better, you see, just right away. So, uh, and I had that announcement, so I wasted some time. So am I, am I okay? Are you going to chastise me? She's so mean to me. <laughs> oh, she's not. I'm just kidding. Did you have a question? Yeah. Um, what What do you do if you're just your personalities just don't match? Like, I know you want to try and be friends with everybody, but there's also like a, there's like a practicality to like having boundaries. You know, one, you can honor the mentally. Yeah. But then, you know, on a very practical. If you spend too much time around them, you might, there might be friction there. Then you have to be casual friends. You offer all respect, you see. Until the two of you advance to spiritually enough to where these, this <coughs> friction goes away. Now, uh, in almost 50 years of, of doing this Hare Krishna thing, i got to tell you what I've learned this friction between people, between personalities. If you take a stone, a rough stone, and you put it in, let's say you take a handful of rough stones, and you put it in these things they've got, you probably see, maybe you've seen them at the gym show, but there are things that, that cause friction. Put stones in there, and this thing stirs them around through sand. And through the friction, you get a polished stone. So it's this it's this friction that makes the stone come from turn from a uh, a rough stone to a beautifully polished gem like. So sometimes this friction between personalities polishes the friendship. The friendship that follows is really strong. But in the beginning, when people are not so advanced in spiritual life, it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual thing, you see. It's material to think, I just can't work with you. I don't like you. That's a, that's a, a, a spiritually immature. But as you both grow, Maybe it, it typically what happens is one grows faster than the other. And one is going to say, you know, I never liked you, but now I see, I see the, the side of you that's so lovable. Now, the other guy may not see it, you yet. That's okay. That doesn't matter. You see? But a lot of times what happens is two guys become friends, close, tight friends. But it's that, it's that friction that polishes that friendship. You see?
Does that make any sense? So if that happens, it's okay. You just pursue spiritual advancement. You know, first of all, you have to save yourself. It's like on an airplane, you know, when they're when the stewardess is telling you, wait a minute, they don't use that term anymore. I'm showing my age. The flight attendant is telling you that in case of loss of cabin pressure and the mask come down, put the mask on yourself first before helping the child or the other person. Because if you don't, then you may get weak and you can't help anybody. So first, save yourself. Advance in spiritual life. You can't help anybody spiritually until you make the advancement. Once you do, then you can give that gift. You see? But until you do, you'll have a tendency to speculate and be affected by the material energy. You see? So your advice and your opinions may be just kind of garbage. You see? And your judgment. But if you advance to a certain point, your judgment. And judgment isn't always bad. I know they try to make it bad, but I mean, everybody judges. You know? And it's like, is it warm enough in here for you? I'm asking you to make a judgment. Is there enough salt in the soup? I'm asking you to be judgmental on the soup. Do you need salt or not? Well, I don't want to be judgmental. Oh, gosh. You see what I mean? We make judgments. You have to make judgments. It's just like you don't think. It's only bad if you say, well, I think I'm better than that person. Well, no, that's kind of being judgmental in a bad way. But you have to judge. Making, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having friction with someone else, and I have to... To, to judge where are they on the spiritual ladder? How far? Well, they haven't come very far. Well, I got to cut them a real break. See? Sometimes people are really suffering <coughs> excess baggage. And it causes them to act a little nutty, a little crazy. So we just have to give them more mercy. You know? Now, when you're not spiritual advanced, you'll say, well, that's not fair for me to have to do all the work. You see what I mean? But you ever see a family that has like, say, three or four children and one of them is mentally challenged? You know? Well, that mentally challenged child ends up getting more love than the other ones. typically in a good family, you see. So sometimes we just have to, sometimes we have to pay more attention and, um, and give more, more loving affection to others. And sometimes that's not gonna work so that you've gotta let them advance a little bit if they're on the spiritual path. And if they're not, then they may not advance and maybe you just can't associate with them very closely. Otherwise, there may be some friction that that may not good be, be good for the advancement of your friendship. Does that make any sense? Uh, hey, can we collect the, would you collect the uh, 
the answers. And I'll go along a little further. Free from false ego. If you're convinced that you're not your body, that's going to open up a whole world of your ability to associate with those around you. Um, one who is equal in both happiness and distress. You know, it's, it's hard to be considered a really great potential friend if sometimes you're like, way happy, and then the next day you're like, oh, what's wrong, Lord? You wouldn't believe what's going on. My whole world is just, uh, 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 you know. So in yoga, we try to be equipoised. You cut off the peaks and valleys and be level, you see. Be the same. Happiness and distress I means you're always happy, you see. In other words, you don't... Uh, you're not caught up in lamentation for something you can't get. You see? Something rotten happens to you. Well, if you believe in karma, I probably deserved it. It says in the Bible, what goes around comes around. It says in the Bible, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. Basically the same. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So Isaac Newton says, for every action, there's an equivalent opposite reaction. So science even agrees. We know of this law of cause and effect. What we leave out is that as it's, you can believe that what goes around comes around, but when it's coming around and you don't like it, you can't, then you think, well, that doesn't apply to me. I didn't send that around. Bad things are happening. I'm a good person. <laughs> Pat yourself on the head, you know. Well, maybe, maybe you're cutting yourself too much of a break. You don't have to beat yourself up, but just say, "I this Krishna's law of karma is so fair. It's totally fair. You do it, and you get it. You know, you get what you do. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad." If you say, I'm, well, I'm tired of getting the good and the bad because uh, at the end of my life, if, if when I leave this body, I have a negative balance in my spiritual deeds account, then I have to take birth and I have to receive bad deeds because I was doing all those deeds. And that's not good. But what if I have a positive balance? You know, I've done a whole lot of good deeds. Now I have to take birth to receive the good reaction. Well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong is I have to take another birth. You know, I have to go through childhood again, learning how to walk, learning how to talk, trying to keep up with the other kids. I have to go through puberty. I have to figure out who I am and how I fit in and you know that's that's not fun <laughs> you see what I mean and it all happens because you're identifying with this body you see so uh, yeah if something good is happen, happening to the devotee he thinks I probably don't deserve this Krishna is just being too kind and if something bad has happened, we think Krishna is just being so kind. 
because I probably deserve something a lot more, worse, you know. That's a good way to live your life. And I'll, some people would say, no, no, you're this and you're that. Okay, let's deal with reality. If, it's, if bad is happening to, in other words, I will cease to be a victim. Nobody in this world can make me a victim. You can't drive me to the consciousness of being victimized. Whatever you do to me, I deserve. You see what I mean? You cannot make me a victim. I'm a victim of my own desires, which cause me to perform certain activities. With actions come reactions. Simple as that. You want the bad actions to go away? You stop sending them out. Become a good friend to everyone. You see? All right, so moving right along. Uh, one who's tolerant. If you're going to be a friend, you need to be tolerant. I mean, if you're, uh, if you think back in your life, if you ever have mentors or friends that you go to, to, to pour your heart out in confidence, they're tolerant of you. They don't say, oh God, here you come again. Jeez, what's your problem now? Well, it doesn't sound like a good friend. You know, you say, I hate to bother you again. Hey, look, no problem. I'm here for you. In other words, I'm tolerating you. It's okay. I love you. I, I feel tolerance for you. Along with my love for you comes tolerance of any difficulties that you may have. Does that make any sense? So a good friend is tolerant and always satisfied. It's hard to find some or to... You don't seek out friends that are always ungrateful. You know, man, don't you hate the way they did this, or don't you hate this, or they, you know. Unless you're in that mood. If you're in, in a, a, hate, a hateful mood, then hateful people are good association. You know, and I see it a lot, especially in America. You know, right now, this, this country is being devoured by hate. You know, devoured. It's there's. It, I don't see this any any other place in the, on the globe that I go to. You know, it's hate. Simply because we happen to have two political parties. You know, and there's and what's happened is the society has made them so important. In other countries, whether you're a this or a that, doesn't matter. You know, in India, if you don't vote for Modi, then people don't say, well, you're an idiot. You know, if you're, huh? They do. No, they don't. I've seen people do that. Well, you may see a little group of people and probably there's, they've been razzed, you know, by it. But I'm talking about people living their lives. You get out and... In rural India, people just living their life, they don't care. They're glad that Modi's done this or he's done he's done some great things, and then well, they don't they don't, want, they don't dwell on it. In the cities, they'll strike up people. There's always you can always get people to uh, carry signs and get real mad, anger, you know. 
You can incite emotion. People are, some people are expert at doing that. And it's, it's happened in America with people here. And it's split kind of 50-50. Half the country is one way, half the country is another. And you know what? It's always been that way. Krishnanam, we, we were here, right? In the, was it like this in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s? You know, it wasn't like that. It was still split. Everybody still was pretty much the same. So this, this, they've turned up the fire now. And so that's, that makes uh, America kind of an uncomfortable place. Unless you live here and you're just getting used to it. You're getting hardened by it. But, you know, in other places, it's not like that in, in Britain, you know. Hungary, it's not like that. But, I mean, I'm not saying there are no political disagreements. They just don't hate each other. You know, they're not. You know, if somebody wore a make India great again hat, they wouldn't be thought, thought of as being a, a low-life person, you know. <laughs> Make England great again. Oh, you're filthy. Come on. How, how do we get sold this bill? Where I don't like you guys because you're the... You know, it's just... I'm sorry, I just I don't get it. I don't know. I don't see what the pleasure is. And there's certainly no benefit from it. It doesn't help us be a friendlier nation. Friendly to each other. When I, when I fly, uh, when I travel internationally, I get people, especially recently, they, they're thinking, what's going on with America? You know, they, they think that we're about ready to take up arms and have a civil war. It's really getting, it's, to, to peaceful people, this is really kind of nutty, you know, the things that are going on. So, uh, I want to be, your friend, and your friend, and your friend, and wait a minute, who did you vote for? Oh, God, you, you, you're one of them. Whoa. And you get half the nation that feels that way, and another half that feels it, that way for somebody else. Oh. But under normal circumstances, when people are just living their life, it's just like, if you, just like when you fly over a, uh, an area you don't see lines painted between the states and countries. Still, if you look out in a neighborhood, you look out in a neighborhood, if there are no political signs in the front yard, who are the Democrats and who are the Republicans? When you go to the mall, who's the enemy? And who's, who are the good guys? For that one moment, they're just people. They're just people. It's only when we start to discuss these things that I start to identify you as a, a low-class person or I, I don't like you. And you see what I mean? Otherwise, if we don't get into these subject matters, you go out in the world and you just see people. You see? They're just people like you. And their opinion may not agree with you. But you know what? The Constitution of America allows that. 
That's why this place is so good. The rest of the world knows that. You actually have that right to have an opinion. And it doesn't have to agree with anybody's. You know, there's a lot of countries. You've been around, you've been to different countries, haven't you? There's a lot of, uh, oh, Krishna, there's a lot of countries that are envious of that. Oh, America. I've had people ask me, what's it like to live in America? I mean, you can like say whatever you want. Well, I don't know. It's getting to the point where you better watch out who you say things around, you know. You know, so it's, uh, the right is still there. You still have the right, but there are some people may want to take it away from you. You know, you have the right. You have the right to uh, so many wonderful things in America. You can choose to, oh, you know, you, can, you know where I'm going. You have the, you have choices here. You have choices that the rest of the world doesn't have. So we should be thankful and we should be friendly with our fellow Americans. Even if their opinion doesn't agree with mine. So um, that's part of learning how to be a friend. If I'm going to be a friend, I have to learn how to associate with my fellow, at least my fellow human beings. And, and I, I don't know how many times I've had a conversation with people like on a, a long flight and uh, we would agree that we disagree. I agree and we agree that we disagree. It doesn't mean you're a rotten guy. Doesn't mean you're a jerk. Doesn't mean you're an idiot. You know? And I can see that you believe in what you believe in. And in America, we should protect that. That you have that right to believe that and to say it without fear of any repercussions because of it. Did you have a question? Oh, uh, this I wanted to hear your take on because there are some groups that they feel passionate about protecting the animals, especially some of these vegan groups. And sometimes they get a little bit in people's faces or get angry because they're torturing the animals and they can't understand the concept. So what place does that have? Well, it's like there are people who are so in the mode of passion and ignorance that uh, they will. I'm, I'm, I want to protect the animals. And I'm willing to break your face to prove it. Doesn't make any sense. You're coming off like you're a peaceful person. Or I'm so against abortion that I'm willing to burn that building down and beat the doctor up when he comes out to get his car. Well, you're really pro-life. You want to kill the guy. You know, this is passion. These, these are the modes, modes of passion and ignorance. When you're in the modes of passion and ignorance, um, when you're angry, you can't think straight. You really can't. Not 100%. And the more angry you get, the less deprived you are of your ability to think clearly. When you're calm and cool, you can make decisions. And you can carry on a conversation. 
if you're against something, then you can say that you're against it or for it. But as far as going and beating people up and turning over cars and breaking store windows, that is never, not in our country. In other countries, they have to do that to get some attention. But in our country, you don't have to do that. We have a system, you see, a really good, the best system in the world. The more I travel abroad, the more I realize what a great place this this is a great place, you know. That's why people are trying to come here by hundreds of thousands. You know, not, it's not just that it's a good place to make money, but it's a good place to be yourself. You know, so. Um, but if we let these convictions that we have, these political issues, if we let them dominate us, then I'm going to split half of the people that I can be friends with. But if I rise above that into a higher consciousness, then I can be friends with anybody. I may disagree with your convictions. You're pro this or anti that. I may or may not agree with you. For the most part, a lot of that, I don't, I don't have an opinion. Sometimes I do, you know. My opinion is that you should become a devotee of Krishna. And then you won't chastise the animals. You won't take away women's rights or children's rights or, you see. If you transcend the bodily consciousness, then you don't feel threatened whether somebody chooses to be gay or whether they just are gay. Doesn't matter to you. Sometimes people say, you mean you don't care? Trying to make me like I'm a bad guy? No, I really don't care what your sexual preference is. And I would like it if you would just kind of share it, I don't know, with yourself. You know, I mean, who goes around saying you shouldn't? I mean, I don't care. Well, I identify with, I don't care. I still, I love you no matter what. I see you as, as, as a part and parcel of Krishna. I don't see you as this body and you're identifying with your body in this way. I don't. That you're right. But I don't have to see that. I see you as a part and parcel of Krishna. You know, you're a beautiful living entity. Yeah. So the same, you know, obviously, Bakers here, we don't have any little chapters in this age because it's, as ages have gone on, we don't really have those real warrior for us. But what place does that, that practical action have in Kali Yuga in terms? Because there is a place, right, for the uh, practical protection aspect of the innocent. Well, we do have some element, you know. I mean, we do have a police force, and they're chutras, you know, they're protectors. Some of them are rotten, but by the most, the vast majority, so vast that I'd say almost all of them are really good and mean well and want to do the right thing, you see. Same thing with our military. We have the military to protect us. And they do a pretty good job, you see. 
The problem is, is the higher ups of the Kshatriyas, those who are supposed to, to be the, the law makers, that the forces enforce, those guys are not so good. You see, they're, they're so eager to make money and to get power. They're in the modes of passion and ignorance. And they're, and they're expert because of that, because of their lust for money and power. They, they, they've had to become expert at manipulating the population because I need your vote. So what do I have to do to get your vote? Uh, what is it that you believe in? Well, I believe in... Oh, I'm for that. Got a student loan? I'll pay it off. See? What, what, what do I have to do to get your vote? <laughs> if you're poor, I'll raise the taxes on the rich. If you're rich, I'll raise the taxes on the poor. What, whatever I have to do to get. And I'm going to pick a segment to where I can work. You know, if I can get the vote of these guys and the vote of those guys. You see this going on. It's just manipulation. Let's see. I mean, his, uh, historically, Krishna Nam and I have been here for, we've been on this planet for a long time. Have we ever seen what, it, what they say they're going to do actually happen? Little bits. Little bits. But it, it, they all, and, and it seems like one thing that's always there in their, their spiel is change. And it works, you know, like when, when Bill Clinton uh, ran for office and, uh, you know, I know the Clintons. I mean, I have a, 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 a personal connection, so, but, so I'm not against that. I'm not for or against. But when he ran for office, he was running at the end of the Reagan era and the Bush era. We have economy that was on fire. I mean, jobs were plentiful. People, employers were hiring, hiring, hiring. And everything was great. And so Bill, <laughs> he knows how to do this and he can sell it. He promised to change. Change for what? You know? <laughs> and uh, Bush Sr. had raised taxes when he promised that he wasn't going to raise taxes. Remember that? Uh, does anybody remember what he, when Bush Sr. said, read my lips, no more taxes? Do you remember that? You're old enough to remember that? Yes, I am. <laughs> read my lips, no new taxes. No more, no new taxes. But he went ahead and let them raise taxes. And that's what, you know, and then Ross Perot decided he's going to get in there. And then here's Bill Clinton. You, we need a change. From, from what, Bill? Everybody's working. <laughs> so, so these guys manipulate, and they're good at it. They're really good. What, what's the thing? What change did we get? Bill's a nice guy. 
What do we get? You know, I mean, he he did do some good things with the budget. You know, but come on. <laughs> and you know what? In private circles, he would admit it to you. You know, I've got a a very close friend who who grew up with the Clintons in Hope, Arkansas, and helped get Bill in, uh, elected governor of Arkansas and helped him get elected president and then went to uh, Washington with him as an, as an advisor for eight years. So he knows these people. I mean, he was at their wedding. I mean, I see pictures in his house of them at the wedding. And, you know, Hillary's so young you wouldn't recognize her. And Bill was kind of long hair. So, but he will tell you, and he's a lifelong friend, Boy, those guys will tell you. Yeah, we can convince anybody of anything. <laughs> you know, and they think that's a good thing to have to be able to do that. You know, so and it doesn't mean they're bad people. They're just their consciousness isn't very spiritually awakened. You know, so they're trying to survive in their part of the material world. So, um, tolerant, always satisfied, self-controlled. A good friend has self-control. You know, you got to be controlled. These are things that, if you're going to be a good friend, you got to have self-control. Um, and Krishna says, and engaged in devotional service with determination. Those who have this cause to please God also have the cause to please everyone. That comes with the territory. If I say, I want to please God and I love God, but I don't care for you. Well, that means I'm, I, I don't even know anything about spiritual life. I don't know the first thing about spiritual life. You know? It's like... Um, you go over to someone's house and they have a dog and you don't like the dog and you tell the guy, you know what, hey, I really like you, but I can't stand your dog. Well, I don't think you're going to be invited back. You know? It's kind of like, hey, you love me, love my dog. So Krishna would say, you love me? Well, what about my devotees? What about my parts and parcels? What about those who don't know they're my devotees? What about those that need your help? You don't have, that's not your proper job description to be a hater. If you identify with being part and parcel of Krishna, you're part and parcel of God, a representative of God, you, you how can you be hate, hateful, full of hate? How is that even possible? It means you're wrong. Let's see. Um... His mind and intelligence fixed on me. If my mind and my intelligence are fixed on God, then I will behave in a really nice fashion. You see? How can you do nasty things to people and be unfriendly if my mind and intelligence are fixed on God? That doesn't make any sense. That's upside down thought. Krishna says, such a devotee of mine is very dear to me. 
You're, you're endearing yourself to me if you become a good friend to everyone. So I know we're running out of time, so I want to. When you read the next verse, the 15th verse, Krishna says, now this is important, listen to this. Krishna says, he by whom no one is put into difficulty and who is not disturbed by anyone, who is equipoised in happiness and distress, fear and anxiety, is very dear to me. You want to be a good friend? Don't put people into difficulty. Even if they disagree with you. Get over it. Everyone doesn't have to agree with you for you to love them. <laughs> if you think that, you've just split, at least America, in half of the people that you can love and the people you're going to hate. Well, there's nothing spiritual about that. That's muck and mire of the material consciousness. That's ludicrous. You can't, <laughs> you can't do that. You know? You did. How dare you disagree with me and what I stand for? You know, you can say, I can see how you would believe that. I understand. Does that mean you agree? No, no, I fully disagree. But I understand how you feel that way. Well, does that mean you want to fight? No. No, I understand how you feel. And you don't, you don't feel that way too? No, I don't. But we can still hang. You know? This is pretty small thinking if you let that get. Krishna says, uh, he who is not disturbed by anyone. You don't disturb people and you don't become disturbed. Some people... Uh, you find that today a lot of people are like um, like a loaded gun. You load a gun and you cock the hammer. That thing is ready to fire, isn't it? And they're like that with ready to be offended. I mean, it's just, it's kind of, you have to watch what you say. You really do. I mean, I'm old and ancient and I don't know I don't you know I'm not that plugged into what's going on <laughs> so I don't know what's politically correct or not and that didn't used to be a thing but it's really important in America right now you've got to watch out you know what you say in other words I, I, I'm, I'm very offended at that and rather they classify you you're a, you're a this or you're a that well no one none of that I just used a term we don't use that term anymore. Okay, I didn't get the memo. You know, somebody told me you can't use that term anymore. I'm sorry. You know, so a lot of people are very because they're in the mode of passionate ignorance or ignorant passion. They're ready to throw down. Oh, you're one of those, huh? One of those what? I don't, I don't understand. So I have to be very careful. You know, I was talking about um, uh, retarded people. And someone in, in some place I was, was offended that I called them retarded people. And I said, okay, what's the term that we use now? Mentally challenged. 
All right, I'll try my best to remember. I'll try to use your term. But when you say mentally challenged and I say retarded, we're saying we mean the same thing. I just don't know that you want me to use that term. I'm sorry. You know, please forgive me. I didn't mean to put you in difficulty. Even uh, at, I remember when I was working at Pima College, even mentally challenged now is incorrect. And that's another thing. We can't use that term. It keeps moving. Yeah, it does. I know it's so funny. That's got that, that's special education or special. Yeah, I heard one the other day that that's a, the new thing to say, and I thought. I know it's weird. How am I gonna remember this stuff? Unless you live in that thing. Yeah. People get so sensitive about that, so you have to be kind of careful. Yeah, you, you really you really do. You know, so uh, so people are. They're ready to, to, be, to become uh, irritated and annoyed. Uh, I, I'm, I don't care if I disturb you with what I say and do. And it's easy for me to become disturbed by what you say and do. Well, what a friendly world, huh? <laughs> How are we going to make it through this if it's like that? So... Uh, and one who is equipoised in happiness and distress. Just always jolly, peaceful, satisfied, grateful. You know, instead of compiling a list of the things that you don't like and you're not that don't make you happy, work on your list of things that you're grateful to have. You know? Yeah. Does anybody else want seconds? There's a lot more. Oh, hey, could you make a plate for Keshe? Sure. <clears throat> yeah, so equipoised in happiness and distress. Uh, equipoised in fear and anxiety. You see? Once you get to a certain level of spiritual advancement, um, and you don't even know when it happens, but fear goes away. You lose the concept of fear. If you, when you get closer in your consciousness to God, then what is there to be afraid of? You know, it's like if you're out in the playground and people are, are trying to beat you up and your big brother's standing behind you, they're going to say, oh, well, you know, Krishna's always there to take care of you, protect you. So, fear goes away. It's been so long since I've tasted fear that I, I know what it is. I don't remember the taste. I don't. It's been like it's been almost 50 years since I've tasted meat. I still know what it is. I don't remember what it tastes like. You know? So... Fear is like that. Anxiety. These, these things go away, and you don't even know when they leave. It's just that after so long a time, you may look back and think, wow, fear and anxiety are gone. The only thing I get anxious about is am I pleasing Guru and Krishna? Am I actually pleasing my Guru and Lord Krishna?
You're a genius. You're a genius. That looks exactly like what I want. What is it? Pollock. Oh, You're turning into a fabulous cook. Uh, Krishna says, one who's like that is very dear to me. If you're very dear to God, and you know it, if you're saved and you know it, say that. Can we used to say that? Did you say that? Sure. A version of that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> what about you, Elijah? Uh, if you're pleasing Krishna and you know it, you know you're very, very dear to Krishna. If you know you're very, very dear to God, what is your worry? What is your problem? So, okay. Um, I'm going to set this aside. And you guys can continue eating that. Um, so, I've got one here that says, yes. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> I really did. Uh, oh, is that, the, are you a good friend? Okay, yes. Yes. Number two, yes again. All devotees, my God. God, brothers, sisters? Probably brothers. Yeah, brothers and sisters. Oh, my Guru Dave uh, and Mara. Mara. Oh, my Guru Mara. Yeah. Okay. So those were your close friends. I should have written this down. I don't remember what the questions were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I used to have a mind that I could remember, but you know, when you go past seventy, you know, it's it's downhill all the way. Actually, that happened after sixty. But what'd you say? It's are you a good friends? Then do you have good friends? Do you have good friends? Yeah. And there was a third one I think that was like, how do you meet? How do you make new friends? Be compassionate. Yeah. So, and you've had you've got Krishna's opinion on how to make friends. How do you make friends? Be compassionate. It's one of them. How do you how do you uh, attract love in your life? Be lovable by being loving. People that are loving are lovable. People that are not loving are not loving. You see. Friendship is the same way. You want friendship? Be a good friend. Compassion is, is a step in that right direction. Okay, I think I am a good friend because of my willingness to be open and listen to and be receptive. Yes. It's part of being tolerant. You know? Part of being, I'm here for you. You see? And part of being tolerant is like if they say something that you may that you may disagree with, uh, of maybe their convictions on a political issue, that you don't judge them as being an idiot and close your mind to them. I'm just going to deprive you of your rights because you said something I didn't like. 
you know. Like you obviously voted for somebody that I didn't, so that means everything that you think about from here on out is probably you're just an idiot. And that's the cause of your troubles. You see what I mean? All of a sudden, you're not a good friend, you're not a good listener. A good listener is I listen to you, and I don't judge you according to how I believe. I gotta listen to the whole story. And I need to stay equipositioned. It's like they teach you in, uh, oh boy, I'm having a trouble with a, a word. What do they call it when two people, you get somebody, to, a, a go-between between two people? Mediation. Mediator. 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 Yeah, when you're gonna be a mediator, you actually have to, you know, if you've got a Democrat and a Republican and you're a, a true mediator, regardless of which one you are, you've got to hear both people's sides. Also, if you're a judge, you know, you're supposed to do that if you're on a jury. It's to be, yeah, fair <laughs> and to protect the rights of everyone. You see? So you have to be able to to hear. If I can't hear without being disturbed by something that you said that made me, then I can't help you. And to tell you the truth, I don't want to help you. You disagree with me? I hope you suck. <laughs> then I'm going to be there. I'm going to say, I told you so. Told you not to vote for him or her or whatever. Um, my circle is small. My good friends would certainly include the devotees. Oh, that's very nice. Um, as you practice devotional service, in, in time you, you start to be amazed at how wide your circle of friends has, has grown. You know, because you may go someplace and you see someone that you may not remember. You know, if you travel a lot, you're speaking very many different places and you're old and senile, you don't remember everybody, you know. But people come up to me from time to time and they'll say, do you remember me? I think, well, you look kind of familiar, but no, honestly, I don't. Well, I just want to thank you for what I do. You know Five years ago, you came through here and you said this, and I, I thought, well, let me give that a shot. And you know what? My wife and I stopped fighting, or whatever, you know, that idea. And you think, wow, we've got somebody who cares for you. You don't even know. You didn't even know it. And this happens a lot as you, if you're looking out for everyone uh, as a representative of Krishna, then you'll have so many friends that you don't know, you don't even know who they are. And it, and we don't make a demand that if I'm your friend, I'm not making a demand that you be my friend. I just want the pleasure of being your friend. There's no strings attached, it's unconditional. Love should be unconditional. I don't need you to love me for me to love you. If you love me, that's very nice. I'm not going to feel unloved because I'm loved by Krishna. When God loves you, you can't feel unloved. Mm -hmm. 
If your guru loves you, you can't feel unloved. It's not possible. Loneliness is another thing. Fear, anxiety, loneliness is something that goes away. I don't, I don't know what it's like. I know what it is, but I don't know what it's like to feel. It's been so long. And that's common with old guys that have been around. When did you lose that? God, we don't know. It's been so long. It's kind of fun to get together with some of my older God brothers and we talk, and God sisters, and we talk about, you know, where we are since the early 70s, where, what's happened to our, in our lives since then, in this journey, you know. How's your life going, you know? And we realize, you know, well then, you know, how long has it, has it been that, since you were you felt lonely? Although we travel alone a lot, we spend a tremendous amount of time alone. You know, sometimes for a lot long periods of time. Right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I don't long for the association of people that I care for. I don't I certainly don't feel lonely. You know, I know Krishna's here. I've got my guru. I've got his instruction. You know, he's given me a great life. So, uh, and I do not, uh, I do not know the best way to make friends honestly. Uh, honest answer. Uh, be a friend. <coughs> be a friend. That's my best advice. Just be a friend. Don't be so needy that you think, oh, man, I gotta make this work. I want you to be my friend. You know, no, it's, <laughs> I don't need a friend. I need to be a friend. That is the need. You see, you don't need friends. You need to be a friend. And you're gonna be drowning friends. You know, it's like you don't need love. You need to love, and then you'll drown in an ocean of it. But that is the need of the living entity. You need to love. You need to shelter. You see, you need, that is the need of you, the soul. You see, not that I need somebody to take care of. No, you don't. You need to take care of someone. I need to be loved. No, you don't. You need to love. I need a friend. No, you need to be a friend. Spiritual thought is opposite and upside down from material thought. You'll see that as you go through and study spiritual life. It's upside down. I just don't have enough love in my life. It means you're not loving enough. It's very simple. I don't have enough friends. You're not a very good friend then. Do I think I'm a good friend? When I'm being a good friend, it's uh, intrinsic to me and trying to get there. I'm trying, maybe? Hmm? I'm trying to get there, maybe? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, that's right. When you're being a good friend. It's nature. It truly is your, your nature. If you can find 
if you can uh, become <clears throat> self-realized, if you can find out who you are, there is this personality that we all have that God sees when he looks at you, you see? And we should really, really strive to find out what is my real eternal personality? What am I like when I'm not affected by the goop of the material world, the hate and the lust and the greed? What am I like? In other words, when Krishna looks at you, what does he see? What does he see that enchants him so much? Because when Krishna looks at you, he just feels you enhance his ecstasy. So you are empowered to give pleasure to the source of pleasure. That is huge. If we can come to that understanding. Yeah. Is there a part of us that is pleasing Krishna despite our unaware or lack of awareness that we are? He doesn't see that side of you. He only sees the real side. You see? He sees the way you may be confused and you may misbehave. He, I mean, he sees, he understands that. But, so it's really our lack of seeing our own. Right. Okay, I see. Which he doesn't like, that you don't see the beauty in you that he sees. Because you think you don't know who you are. You've lost track of yourself <clears throat> and your relationship with him, you see. It's just like if um, if you and I are close and you become, what's the new word? Mentally challenged, not mentally challenged. Huh? Well, then, the is Well, whatever, you become mentally challenged. <laughs> so I look at you and I see Michelle, a sweet, wonderful Michelle, but now you've got some mental problem and you think you're Napoleon. I know you're not Napoleon. I don't see Napoleon when I look at you. I see Michelle. You see, I see that nice personality, that attractive, even though you may be, might be behaving like Napoleon. You see what I mean? Yeah. Oh, she's my Michelle. Oh, she thinks she's a, she's a jerk. She thinks she's Napoleon. Oh, well, still. So Krishna, when he looks at you, he doesn't see he doesn't see your nonsense. He knows it's there. He sees you. And he's thinking, someday you'll come back to me. I know you will. And I'm going to try to make it a little easier, but I'm not going to take away your free will. But I'm going to try to, I'll send you, uh, I'll give you some, uh, some opportunity. You'll, you'll meet one of my devotees, one of those who can give this to you. You can reject it. And if that doesn't work, maybe I'll send somebody up. And it goes on and trying to make it easy for you. So, you uh, have good friends. Yes, Krishna and the devotees. Oh, that's nice. Because the, they know how to care and love the soul and are not superficial. Right. 
shallow people, superficial people are not very attractive and they don't generally make very good friends. You know, if your standard of friendship is high. Right. <laughs> you know, easiest, best way to make a friend, be a good friend, be a good loving person. <clears throat> yeah. Self-realization is required. That's right on. You guys agree with this? With what we're saying here? Yeah. Um, do I think I'm a good friend? <clears throat> I think that I'm good at being there for, for people and being understanding. But I am definitely uh, forgetful. And I feel that because of that, at those times I fall short. That's very that's very kind to say. Yeah. I mean, if we can't recognize our weaknesses, it's like we've heard people say, I want to meet somebody that loves me for just what I am. Also, you don't have any room for improvement. You're not a work in progress. You're like the perfect person. You know, so... Or... Maybe you uh, might become attracted to someone who can help you become what you really are, what your potential is. You know? I mean, why be attached to where you are? You can't do that because uh, the nature of the soul is just like God's. It's ever-increasing. It's not like you get to a level of realization and then you level off on a plateau. Now, this ecstasy that you feel as you find God, even when you find him, your ecstasy doesn't level off. It's like I tell people, I've told you, buckle your seatbelt because you're in for a heck of a ride. When you start uh, associating in, in love with God, you're, gonna, you're amazed at where this is going to take you. There's no limit, you see. So some people, when I was a child, I don't know if they still do, but people were talking about heaven as if it was like clouds. You know, you go up there and you're, you, they give you a heart and you've got wings and everything. So you get up and it's leveled off and it's like, I'm a boy. You see, no, it's not like there is, there's no level. It just keeps going faster and faster and faster. More and more ecstasy. You think God has leveled off in his pleasure? No way. No. He's the source of it. He can cook up as much as he wants. And he likes pleasure just like we do. We're part and parcel. We're just like him. You see? And if we get close to him, we're going for that ride with him. We get ever-increasing doesn't level off. If you're waiting for it to level off, I got news for you. <laughs> you're going to have to wait a long time. You know, 30 years ago, I realized this isn't going to stop. This is like, I got to a place in the first 20 years that seems like I don't see how I can get any greater than this. This is so fantastic. Life is so good. The association with the devotees 
other people. It's just wonderful. The emotional service is great. I don't see how I can get any better. And then a few years later, I'm thinking, I'm remembering, thinking, how was, how can I think that? Because now I'm where it just can't. And then after 20 years of that, I realized, <laughs> this is, <laughs> that's not going to happen. You know, we're just, this is going to keep on happening. You know. Um, Do you have good friends? Yes, that's good. That's good. I think that when two people get put in a situation where they need to, to work together or have to uh, have to in, I'm not a very good reader. My, my eyes, I don't see very well. Oh, interact is one of the best ways to be uh, to bond because each person's oh excuse me each person's flaws or talents are exposed and it's easier to accept the whole person exactly um, this, this concept of bonding, we hear about it, but I don't know if a lot of people understand fully what it means. You know, what does it mean to bond? You know, like if you take super glue and you glue your hand to this, well, it's bonded. It's not coming off, you know, you gotta cut it off. So bonding means we become connected and we have that realization that this is forever beyond this body. Uh, I have friends that uh, they've been my friends for almost 50 years and when I go to the meetings in, in, in Mayapur in India, I see them and some of them maybe I haven't seen in 15 years or 10 years. But we take off right where we were that last minute we were together. You know, the, the friendship doesn't have to be wound up like a clock. See, and we know we've Pat, we know we've known for decades that we're together <laughs> beyond these bodies. When we go back home, we're still going to be together. You see, and that realization will make you treat people like a friend and to be appreciate and grateful for their friendship and their love. You know. I mean, it, de it deepens the potential to love somebody. You see? And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there's no doubt about it. We're not going, it's not that, well, Jesus, what, what have you been doing for the, you've been, where, where have you been, we've been in China, Philippines? Oh, yeah, really? Wow. We need to catch up on who you are. No, I know who you are. Well, you're still that wonderful friend of mine. And you find none of them have changed. Except they're even more loving than they were before. All right, moving on. Is this interesting? Is it good? I can stop if you want me to. Keep going. Okay. Somebody wrote this one upside down. <laughs>
Yes and no. I, I, care, uh, I care very deeply, but I have a desire to develop myself in such a way uh, I can express that love purely, uh, untainted, with any, uh, untainted with any selfish motivation, selflessly, no expectations from the other, no conditions uh, to that love. Bullseye, yeah. To the degree that I have uh, demands or expectations on you, to that same degree, we're going to have some difficulties. Unless you become my slave, my indentured slave. And even then, you see what I mean? Real love and real friendship can't really take place and bond. You see what I mean? It's got to be uh, unconditional. And that's, that's a tough concept for those of us that are uh, embodied, you know, we're materially conditioned. It's tough. It's really tough, but not impossible. Am I, am I a good friend? Uh, most of the time. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I think that's very honest. Uh, number two, uh, I guess that was, do I have any friends? I think so. Yeah, and then the third one, uh, go through something hard with them. How do you how do you become a friend? Go through something hard. Yeah, that will bond. That will help bond you. During a, a, a period of hard times, you start to depend on each other a little bit, and you have a tendency in that circumstance to not to oversee some faults that the other person may have. It's just that when you come out the other end and it's no longer a challenging time and now times are easy, then I might start to find fault with you. It's not a spiritually based relationship. You see. That is common. There are people who fall in love because they're um, like people who, who uh, survive an airplane crash and they, they end up Somehow they're surviving together and they fall in love. And then later on that deteriorates. And there's a, in, in psychology, there's a name for that. And I can't remember what it is. It, it it's it's kind of common. You know, this, this happens. People actually fall in love because they went through some horrible thing together. And then when times get different, they start to find fault. Well, I didn't know you were like that when you were saving my life. <laughs> ah, shut up. I'm tired of hearing your mouth. <laughs> You're going to vote for who? I hate you. I saved your stupid life. I wish I hadn't. <laughs> I wish you would let me die. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, am I a good friend? Yes. Do I have good friends? Yes. And uh, how do you make friends? Um, good conversation. Yeah. Um, good conversation, I would define as uplifting, spiritually uplifting. 
if you can help somebody with their spiritual realization, then you'll make a friend. You definitely will. Even if they get angry at you at first and they argue with you, but some, typically they come around and say, ah, you were right. I come back to town and say, you know, I see somebody that was disagreeing with me last time I came through, and I'll say, oh, you're back, you're here. Yeah, yeah, you were right. <laughs> and I try to be real humble and say, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> That's me being humble. <laughs> Uh, am I a good friend? I try to be. On a, uh, I try to be a good friend, but I have made uh, offenses. Uh, I implore them to forgive. This is very important. I have made offenses. They have to realize I have offended. You say you can't be like so defensive. What me? Be offense offensive? No. So yeah, you know, I. I know I have. I know I've offended people. That's manning up or womaning up or, you know. Is that a term, womaning up? Can you think you just made it? Yeah. It's like I had the cyst cut off my neck a couple of years ago. And uh, this, this is a lady doctor, a uh, Jewish lady. I was gonna say an old Jewish lady, she's younger than me. <laughs> you can be old and be younger than me. And so she's cutting on my neck, you know, and uh, she said, look, this isn't gonna last long, so I'm not gonna give you any, any anesthetic, okay? I'm just gonna have to cut a little bit. So just hang on. I said, sure. She reminded me of my mother. She, my mother was, I had a Jewish mother. So. I told her, I said, look, I had a Jewish mother, you know, so she said, all right, then you can handle this. So I said, just don't start with the guilt, okay? <laughs> so anyway, she's cutting and, and I'm going like, <laughs> it was kind of hurting. And she said, uh, you know, you're handling this pretty good. You're taking it like a woman. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. She said, I meant it as a compliment. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine what a, what a woman goes through bearing a child, you know. And, you know, so, uh, although, how can we men know how bad that is? Maybe it's not as bad as they make it out to be. <laughs> Maybe they're just trying to convince us that it's that bad. <laughs> we'll never know. Let's see this thing where they put like electronics on this guy's stomach and they made him have contractions and go oh, through yeah. all the labor pains or something, but he didn't have a kid. <laughs> well, I should hope so. And also, like, he got convulsions or something. Wow. On Oh, what's that about? Oh, let me show you the pain. Wait, well, but that doesn't simulate the pain of the baby coming out of the birth. Mm -hmm. you know, so. I heard it feels like twenty-seven bones breaking or something like that. Yeah. I heard something crazy. Like yeah, I heard it's about thirty-eight. 
Probably no. uses, I guess, terrible. Words. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a woman who told you that. No, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a woman wrote it. My three children were born at home. You know, we had a midwife, no drugs, natural birth, and uh, you know, my wife didn't seem like she was like having. I mean, it was painful. You could tell, and uh, so I was teasing her later on. You know, it's it's not as bad as you guys make it out like it is. And she said. It is too. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. So later on, she said, "You know, it's really not that bad now that it's happened. It's over, it's over with." <laughs> so you want to do it again? She said, "Maybe someday." You know. Um, yeah, I made offenses. It's important to understand that. Um, it's easier to have a friend in Krishna for reliability than the varied expansions of secular I can't read this I can't read that okay. I'm sorry it's me it's not you it's not your writing uh, three how to meet friends meeting new friends for uh, for when and where moments are temporary Two friends that know why they will last. Know why they will last longer, based on the strength of of why, bonding over Krishna, beauty versus shared trauma. Yeah, bonding uh, bonding through feeling ecstasy together is going to keep you bonded more than feeling trauma together. You know, or anger together. You know, it's like uh, back in the late 60s, in the very early 70s, it was fun to hate Nixon, and it was fun to, you know, to be anti-Vietnam War. It was, it was a lot of fun, you know. And so it was fun to go to rallies. It's like the, the 68, 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago. If you know history, that was a big thing. You know, the police were there, and a whole bunch of hippies were in Grant Park and right there on the lakeside in Chicago. And, and so, you know, it was fun, you know, to hate the police and uh, Nixon and everybody. We just hate, you know. And so, you meet somebody, there's some pretty girl next to you, and she hates him as much as you do, and you think, God, I love that in you, you know. <laughs> so this going and hating the other side together was kind of an attraction to meet some cool people that we shared hate with, you know. And uh, so, so that's not as long lasting as sharing ecstasy with someone, you know, uh, spiritual ecstasy. I don't mean, yeah, that came out long. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, is this guy out of touch? <laughs> no, I'm talking spiritual, not physical ecstasy. There isn't any, there's no such thing as spiritual, uh, physical ecstasy. It's a conception of the mind. If that's what you judge as the ecstasy, well, you taste spiritual ecstasy, which is many more billions of times greater than that. 
physical ecstasy. You know, the, the physical ecstasy doesn't even register on the Richter scale. So, uh, yeah, that's another good one. Okay, I have in my hands the last comment. Okay, do you think you are a good friend? Yes, because a good friend uh, gives to the relationship rather than takes. Uh, primarily, giving the greatest gift, Krishna. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, you've heard. It's better to give than it is to receive. Materially, that's not true. If you're Hare Krishna, Krishna, not most of you sing. Uh, do you have good friends? Yes. Easiest and best way to make friends, be a friend to all. See everyone through Krishna's eyes. That is a real, that's a good answer. That's good realization. Because if, if Krishna sees you, if when he sees you, he feels an increase in his ecstasy, then if I can see you the way he sees you, then you're going to increase my ecstasy. See? So, and it gives me an idea of what Krishna might see when he looks at Pete. So if I know, if I can understand uh, that God sees me with nothing but love and affection. For instance, we're all spirit souls. And do you think God made, ever made any mistakes? Is that possible for the Supreme to make a mistake? No, he never makes a mistake. He doesn't, nothing ever, uh, ever goofed up. There were no flub-ups. So he also doesn't create anything ugly. He's the source of beauty. Everything that springs from him is completely beautiful. You see, so all of his parts and parcels, all, all of the living entities are incredibly, uh, indescribably beautiful, and charming. Now, we may meet some of those folks who are thinking that they're something else. But you should learn and should train yourself through spiritual realization to see that beautiful side in everyone, because it is there, and you can see it. You can't see it, even if they're a jerk, you know. If Krishna can see it, it's there. Just because someone is thinking that there's something that they're not um, doesn't mean that you can't see the beauty in them if you are ready to look at it, you see. Yeah. And it's difficult at first when you start trying this method, but it gets very easy. It gets very easy. So, what do you think, Elijah? Nothing, okay. All right. Any questions, comments, criticisms? There was a song that I used to listen to. It was a really powerful song. It was a Christian artist. It was called Give Me Your Eyes. That was the name of the song. Hey, what? Huh? Give Me Your Eyes. Give Me Your Eyes? Mm. Yeah, it was a really powerful song. It just reminded me of what you were speaking about. 
It's like the person's asking Krishna. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Judy Caesar. <laughs> so yeah, give me your eyes. That's interesting. Yeah. That might be a good title for a class, huh? Yeah. It's a great title. Yeah, so any comments? What about you, Elijah? You're rarely at a loss for words. Sometimes I'm at a loss for words. Ah, <laughs> oh, there she is. Rada Sundar. Any comments? Any comments or criticisms? Am I allowed to ask how you enjoyed it? No. <laughs> <laughs> what if you ever let that get in your way? Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the disciple has to has to chastise a little, you know, in a loving way. I can remember uh, one of my god sisters. I can't remember her name. She was taking care of Prabhupada when he was sick, and he was on a restricted diet. And so Prabhupada wanted this one preparation, and she said, "No, Prabhupada, you can't have that. It'll make you sick." And he said, but I want it. She said, no. He said, all of my life I've eaten whatever I want to. Why should I listen to you? And she said, because I'm looking out for you. And he said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to go use the facilities and come back and take Prasadam and we can... Did you guys get full? Yes? Yeah, I had a little bit before I came here, so I was on X. Any of you guys got questions too? Is this, this is your first time? I feel like I've seen you. I haven't been here specifically now. I met you on the campus, right? Yeah. Okay, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's your first time. Do you have any questions? Like. Um, sure I would, I was just curious about this mainly. I, I mean, I like what you're saying. And I don't, um, I, I just got into, like, I've not been religious my whole life, Yeah. but then I have recently gotten into Christianity, which I'm kind of going towards, but I'm expecting to get some sort of wisdom from anything that I, I look at. Um, especially if you're claiming that there's one God, like, I mean, most of the things that you've said are very in line with what's, you know, with the Christian God. Like, oh, it yeah. seems like the same thing. It's not the same, it's not a different God. Well, yeah, it seems so, you know. It's, uh... just seems like different ways. It's to just like, um, in America, we say God. In Russia, the name is Bach. Yeah. In Germany, it's Gott. And Dios, in uh, Spanish-speaking world, use in French. So they're all talking about the same guy. Yeah. So Krishna, God is unlimited. He has unlimited personalities and unlimited names. And this this word, this name Krishna means all beautiful, all attractive one. The source of 
pleasure. You see, so it's just a name. Um, it's a name of God that means, uh, and it talks about this personality of Krishna. Now he has different personalities. You know, we can't put God in a box. So this personality of Krishna is not someone that you worship with all reverence. You see, Krishna's approachable. He becomes less godlike. Well, that's the same idea behind Jesus Christ. Exactly. Very similar. Yeah. Comes human, in mm -hmm. in a way that's weird, is unexplainable. Yeah. Uh, we don't differ from Christianity. One of my disciples has been forty-five years in the uh, ministry at the Episcopal Church. You know, and he's twice initiated. He's uh, took first initiation, became my disciple. When? How long ago? Five years ago. And he's initiated Brahmin. So you could be both, like three. Yeah, I mean, he was given. He was given sometimes five masses every Sunday. But and then also, come here. He also believed in well, I mean, Krishna is just the same. It's just the same God. It's just like extra. Extra, extra text on it. Right. Like, yeah. It's more it's information. A, and none of, none of it is in conflict with like the Bible. No. There are different different beliefs. In other words, some people interpret what they get from the Bible is you're only born one time, and everything happened. What? Where we disagree. One of the areas is that this world was created one time. You get one life, one shot. You get one shot, and then it's going to be eternity from there on out. Uh, but eternity, something that's eternal, eternity goes both ways. The soul does not come into existence; it always has existed. So there is no mention that I know of, or that Bible scholars know of that says that the soul has been there for eternity. But some people in, interpret that it comes into existence and then it's eternal, but it'll go good or bad. And there's only one life. But according to, you're pretty much a Bible scholar, aren't you? No. <laughs> Jesus mm -hmm. kind of explains how he's eternal, but people keep confusing him for his body. Yeah, yeah. And he would always run the back to the fire. It wasn't like there's nothing special about there was. Yeah. So, you know, this eternality of the soul, the transmigration from different life, different bodies, is not very widely accepted in the Christians. I have many friends, but and one, one disciple is a Bible scholar. He knows the Bible in many different languages. And once he became a devotee, he, it was about the time he wanted to retire. He's old like me. And uh, but his his sermons got so potent that they didn't they wouldn't let him retire. <laughs> so he went ahead and retired, but he stayed on as a volunteer and started working even more. And they wouldn't let him go until finally he said, Look, you know, I just 
I'm older, I don't want to work anymore, but I'll always be here for you. I just can't do this. Five masses. And, you know. <laughs> but they were like, they really, so uh, he was saying that he became, and many, many people that understand this philosophy feel that it makes them better Christians. Anyway, you know. I just wanted to, because I got the, whatever it's called, um, and I, I, I guess I just had it and wanted a reason to, to actually have more motivation to read it, I guess, which it's a long list of, I have a long list of books I want to read, but it's on there. Yeah. Bhagavad Gita is a very important book to read. Seems like it. Very important. Yeah, it'll um, connect the dots. It does. It helps the dots. As I grew up Christian, I was, since I couldn't remember, I was in the church. Two years old, three years old, four years old. Father's a pastor, stepdad's a pastor, mom. So I had a lot of questions growing up. Then I started diving into the actual Bible. And there's just a lot of things that didn't make sense, a lot of unanswered questions. Being able to pick up the Bhagavad Gita and be able to read the Bhagavad Gita and have an understanding of it. Because Prabhupada gave us the commentaries. So it's like, you can actually extract what's, what's being said to being actually. So that was amazing. And that allows you to really understand the message of the Bible because it's like the Bible can take you so far and it's, and it's bona fide, it's bona fide, it's legit. You know, Jesus said at the end, you know, Matthew, he says, so much more I gotta tell you, but you, you're not ready. You're not ready to hear. So when we have this understanding, we know that, you know, the, conclusion, the conclusion of spiritual life does not culminate at the Bible. There's so much more to learn. But you can get the basics of spirituality in the Bible. Like you can learn how to become a good person. You know what I mean? You can learn what to do, what not to do, morals speaking. But even beyond just morals, even beyond morality, there's higher truths. And that's really where the Bhagavad Gita comes in. Understanding the nature of the soul, understanding what eternality really means. All these different concepts that we learn and we're able to go even beyond because we have these scriptures that have been preserved through a disciplic line of gurus and disciples. So the, the knowledge has remained intact. So that when you when you receive it, you're able to get the full message. The message is being able to is, is transmitted to you without any kind of compromise. Unfortunately, we can't say the same thing about the, the Bible. It's been it's been you know it's been trans, it's been changed quite a bit. Um, but the essence is still there. The essence is still there. But with the Bhagavad Gita, what I think is missing. And the sad part is, is that how do you become Christ-like? That's really the secret. If you accept Lord Jesus Christ, that means you accept that you want to become Christ-like. If you can become Christ-like, you're going to be a good friend. You're going to be compassionate. You're going to. But if you don't become Christ-like and you say you're a Christian... And I disagree. That's like if someone says, I'm a Hare Krishna, but you're not Krishna-like. Right. right. You know? 
that you behave this way and you say you're this way. And that can be applied to many different religions. There are many people who, who want to, to say, I'm a this or I'm a that, but they don't know the full meaning of what is that, what's the essence of that. And with Christianity, the essence is to become Christ-like. Right? Christ said, uh, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Become austere in your life. You know? Follow me. Emulate. You can't imitate, but you can emulate. What is one of the best things I've ever heard is uh, what would Jesus do? You know that WWJD? I think that makes, yeah, if you're a Christian, you should wonder. I always wonder what would Krishna want me to do? You know? What would, what would my guru want me to do? And if you can use that, if you can use WWJD as your filter for your reactions to people and circumstances and, and desires that you will allow yourself to have, you will become Christ-like. You see? Uh, so I, I, I'm sorry for taking everyone's time. No, no, that's good. No, no. Um, so, like, with, with sin, <clears throat> is there, like, repentance for with Krishna? Like, well, what do you do to, like, man, I'm, I'm not perfect, and does Krishna give some sort of, like, you know, way for you to sacrifice a part of yourself? Or, the, austerity, you know the austerity that we take up is this chanting of Hare Krishna. This chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Which is a prayer. It's the, old, it's the original love song. It's a prayer from the living entity to God. My dear Lord. Please engage me in some service to allow me to serve you, to show my love. So that's what we're at. That's, that's that prayer. So uh, what is the penance? Love me. How do you love me? How do you, love, how do you show your love for somebody? Do something for them. Do something nice. What does God want you to do? He doesn't need anything from you. So... Show your love for me by loving him and him. Become loving. Become like me. I'm loving. God says, you know, you love me, then show your love for me by being loving. You see? Become like me. Become godly. Become like Jesus. Can you become Jesus? No. Can you become God? No. But you, become, you can become Jesus-like. You can become godlike. Yeah. You know? And we can say, yeah, but nobody's perfect. Okay, well, I just said you're not going to be God. You're not going to be Jesus. But you'd be surprised how far you can go with that. Yeah. You know? And we can't impose any uh, limitations on ourselves. You can become as perfect as God wants you to be. Now, how perfect do you think He wants you to be? Doesn't have like an expectation for you. Like he well, wants you to be as the best part of you, but like it's not gonna have. But if you're the right if you're part and parcel of if you're part and parcel of him, <coughs> then you are perfect. You the soul. In this embodied situation that we're in, no, we have so many imper uh, imperfections. 
I mean, the people who go to heaven, are they imperfect? Are they still sinners? Do they sin in heaven? No. So there is purification. It can be achieved. As a matter of fact, that's the object. You see? I mean, I can't go to heaven and open a casino, you know, cheat people out of their money, lie, steal, see what I mean? So perfection is expected. It's demanded from God. Now, do you have to die before you become perfect? Not if you become Christ-like. You see? If you become God-like, you still may have a little bit of flaws. Maybe a little bit. But those will kind of become very minimal. You see? Your dealings and your desires will become very, very purified. You see? And we can't say, well, nobody's perfect. Well, all right, there is truth to that. But you are an eternal part and parcel of the Supreme Godhead. You are cent percent perfect. You, the soul. But in your current consciousness, in your current state of affairs, you have flaws. You see? But those flaws can be overcome. But not if you try to make up something on your own, but if you become Christ-like. Was Christ perfect? Yes. If you become Christ-like, then are you kind of pretty close to perfect? He's the perfect man he could be. The imperfection is that he couldn't fall down. And we, in our consciousness, we can. We can become very perfected and still maybe take a step back as we take steps forward and then back. Maybe three steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, one step back, you see. So, yeah, we'll have those that our imperfection gets to the point that really is defined in that we are, um, it's possible for us to have some fall down. You see what I mean? But it doesn't mean that you don't have a chance. Don't even try. You know, I don't think Jesus would say that, would he? Hey, look, don't even try. You can't get, you can't be very perfect. Okay, then I'm just going to remain. So, oh, come on. There's a Bible verse that says, be perfect as I am perfect. Yeah, I, I, I there is that now, yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, because, see, I grew up in Christianity, you grew up in Christianity, maybe others. We understand that the idea of perfection that you're thinking of is that you never make a mistake. Right. That's that's your idea of perfection. But Krishna's he's he's letting us in on what it really means to be perfect. Can you talk a little bit about that as opposed to the idea that materially we can never make a mistake? Because that's the idea of perfection for, for most Christians. <clears throat> yeah, materially, uh, this is mine, and it's not yours. Uh, he is my enemy. He is my friend. Uh, you know, like that. I'm making these distinctions based on bodies, which we're not. So there is absolutely no, imper there's no perfection 
in my process of thought whatsoever. There's no perfection in it, you see, because I'm discriminating. Even if I say, oh, I don't discriminate, what do you do? Because I'm, my body is different from yours, you see. But if we can rise above that uh, into the spiritual consciousness, then I don't discriminate. I am part and parcel, and you are part and parcel. That doesn't mean that the, the soul is just a, a bit of light. No, you actually have a form. You have an eternal form. But you, the soul, have come into this world and have taken forms, bodies, according to your desires. And according to your, your desires cause you to perform actions. Actions have reactions, and so you get on that karmic path, you see. So you may have the body of one animal or one other animal or a human being or whatever, but you just, due to your desires and your actions, you... Of course, when you're in, a, in the body of an animal, you can't... There's no sin for you. There's nothing you can do wrong. If a tiger jumps out of the bushes and kills you and eats you, that's not sinful. He's just tiger food, you see. He's just eating. He's just feeding himself. Maybe he shared it with his kids and his wife, you see. So, but when you, the, the next birth, a tiger takes a higher birth, more consciousness, and then more consciousness, then more consciousness, up through the, the monkey species, more and more conscious, and then you work your way up that ladder, you get a human life. So now... More is expected. Now you can discriminate what is right and wrong. Tiger doesn't think it's wrong to eat you. You know, he never feels bad. The tiger never goes home and says, you know what, I'm thinking about becoming a vegan. I'm looking at guy's eye when I killed him. You know, he's just thinking, well, that's a pretty good meal. Yeah. That guy tasted better than an elk. You see? That actually happens. That's why they, they'll go out of their way to kill. Once an, a, a lion eats a, a human or a tiger, they have to go kill them because they, they'll want more. But up until then, they, they're afraid to the, of humans. You know. But once they make that step, then they have to go hunt them down and shoot them because they don't have the tendency to do it again. So... But you see what I mean? When your consciousness, when you get the consciousness of a human being, the brain of a human being, then God expects you to use that. Let's see. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the big things that I'm struggling to comprehend coming from a Christian background also is that we, in Christianity, there's one life and we attain heaven by receiving forgiveness from Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this one after one belief mm -hmm. that gets us to heaven. Whereas in Krishna consciousness, it seems like the purification process is not through this one kind of symbolic act, but through lifetime after lifetime of purifying our consciousness. I, I mean, we, I don't, I don't know if that's... Well, we get to the point of where we are open to spiritual life. You see, some people in the human, some, some humans, they don't accept spiritual life at all. Jew, Christian, Krishna, they, you know, it's all a bunch of garbage. You know, it's like Santa Claus. There's a lot of people who feel that way. They're not ready in this life 
They don't, they're right, consciousness. So they, we get more lives to try to figure it out. We're not condemned to a hell like in Christianity where after your one life, you either go to heaven or you go to hell, and that's it for eternity. <clears throat> this is our hell. This, we're in hell. <laughs> this is the world of death. Right. In heaven, in, in the spiritual world, there is no death. In this world, there's death. You see, there's hate. Mm -hmm. There's envy, anger, lust, greed. I mean, this place is not a good place. We're, we're in America in, in 2019, and the unemployment rate's below 3%. It's better than it's been in 50 years. Things are really good. Although we can still find complaints. But, but if you look at the history of this place, this is, this is a horrible place to be. And it's still going on in other parts of the world where large groups of people go kill large groups of people, you see. But through history, it's, if you look through history, it's not a pretty scene where this human thing has come. It's pretty damn good right now, you know, here. Uh, England is doing better now than they've ever done before. Germany is doing better, you see. So a lot of us are doing better than ever before. So we have a tendency because it's 2019 and we're Americans and we have all these rights and we have the right to complain and point fingers and nobody punishes us except maybe our neighbor if they disagree with us. So we kind of lose sight of just how bad this world is. Um, along with birth comes the guarantee of death. And if you live, you're going to get old. So old age, disease, this is not. Now, this earth planet is in, is in the middle. There are planets below and planets above us. We're right in the middle. There are planets above us that are very heavenly and planets below us that are more hellish. This is all described in Srimad Bhagavatam. The difference in, in Christianity and uh, uh, Vaishnavism is that we have a whole lot more details. Now some people could say, well, that's not in the Bible, so I don't believe it. That you're right. You don't have to. But the hellish planets that are described in uh, the Srimad Bhagavatam are places of fire. Yeah. Yeah. Like, similar to what we hear in the Christian faith. Uh, Lord Indra's planet, the highest of the heavenly planets, which is not transcending into the spiritual world, but the highest of the material planets, we call it the heavenly planets, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, it's described as having streets made of gold and the gates are of pearl. Now, this was written uh, 5,500 years ago. So, you can see the descriptions are very, very similar. It's just that without the conception that this whole thing... So, and, and, I, and just logically, you've got this eternal creature God. He always has been and always will be. Okay? Eternity's a long time. 
So he decided to do this material creation one time, and let's say it lasts a trillion, trillion years, whatever number that may be. All right, in the scope of eternity, that's not even a nanosecond. It practically didn't even happen. It's like, right? And he's only going to do it one time. And within this trillion, trillion years, you have a 75-year lifespan. <laughs> to get it right. Right. To get it? Yeah. Or else. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I don't, nobody has convinced me. Bible scholars tell me it doesn't really say that in the Bible. You, you can say that it's been interpreted, this, but who did the interpretation? And it doesn't matter, really, but it helps you to understand this plan of God's. This material world has always been here. And it's the place for people to go when they want to get away from God. Souls, when the soul wants to go. If you get away from God, you're in hell. Your hell may take the form of a real cushy place. It's just like if you're in um, Hawaii or the worst place on earth, you're still in hell. In Hawaii, you know, I used to go to Hawaii a few times a year and uh, I traveled through there a lot. And I noticed that people are in Paradise, have you ever been to Hawaii? You know, Hawaii is even better than they build it up to be. I mean, there really aren't any words to describe how nice that place really is, as far as the weather and the, the vegetation and, you know, mango trees. <laughs> People have mango trees in their front yards and avocado trees. and all. It's just, it's kind of a heavenly kind of place, you know. And still you see people puking their guts out from from being intoxicated, you see? So, yeah, it's heavenly, but they're still without God. You see, prostitution is out of hand in Honolulu. Uh, STDs are way popular. So it's still, it's still hellish. People are struggling to, to make a living to the people who live there, they're just going to work. It's like, well, dude, what's it like to live in the life? Get out of my way. I'm just going to get to work, you know. Still a struggle, you see. So what is hell? Any place that you've lost your consciousness of your Supreme Father, you're in hell. We get, we get just piggyback on that. David gives us a glimpse of that even in the Bible. When he describes any place um, I'm in, even without God, it's hell. But if God can descend to the deepest depths of hell, and if I'm with him, then I'm in heaven. Right. So we get this, what you're speaking of, we, we understand this, this concept, even in the scriptures, the Bible. Yeah, it's there. It's there. You know, it's just that some folks focus on some things and some folks focus on other things as being important. Like some of my Christian friends have focused on something. I can't remember what, it, what God said, but they use that, that the woman should surrender to the husband. Anytime he wants sex, it's her duty to do that because God wants, you to, wants him to enjoy that way. 
and the wife doesn't have any right to refuse. And I argued with that lady. I said, where the hell does it say that? And they read it to me. I said, that doesn't say that. It's just their interpretation. But you wanted to say that because you want to tell your wife, what do you mean you know you have a headache? God wants you to. You know, God tells you you should surrender to me. So get in the mood. <laughs> so, so some people will take parts of, uh, of the Bible. And I've seen pe people take parts of the Bhagavad Gita and try to make their... Some, some use that as a point that they, a material point that they want to make. But uh, forcing your wife to have sex with you, I'm sorry, that's not spiritual. That's totally material. That is a fallen condition. You say, well, God wants me to and demands that she surrender to No, I'm sorry, time out. You do not have the right to force your wife to, or to make her feel badly that you, that she's not in the mood that you are, you know? So I've, I've argued with my Christian friends in a friendly way. And they said, you know oh my God, yeah. That's yeah, incredible. they've written books about it. I mean, that verse just talks about the order of like, um, just like the man, the woman submits a man as the head, in other words, like the protector. Yeah, but look at the context. It's yeah. like talking about a man that is like completely surrendered to God and right. it's protecting his wife. Not that is the... Look at the whole That's picture. the foundation right there. If you have a man who's completely surrendered to God He'll protect and a woman who's completely surrendered to God, all right, then we can understand men have a physical ability right. that women don't have. I'm sorry, I'm not being sexist. They just do. You know? I mean, I'm not being sexist, but if I wanted, if I wanted somebody to protect me, I'd prefer a big old hairy man, you know, rather than a sweet lady. I see what I mean. So it's the duty of men in this world to protect women and children. Now it's the duty of women to protect whatever they can. You know, if if a woman can protect a man, so yeah. But basically, the fundamental job of protection comes with the man because he has the physical ability to do that. It's like in India, uh, people, uh, they criticize because it's customary for the women to walk behind the men. And they think that's demeaning. Well, this comes from a, 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 a culture that lived in villages. And if you're going someplace through your village or to another village, you're gonna be going through forest or jungle or something. So the men walked in front, the man walked in front. His protected wife was behind him and the daughters and children. The older son was in back in case there was a tiger or a thief or something. This is just the way the culture is. But if you think for one minute that the average Indian husband controls the average Indian wife, you are so wrong. <laughs> They're fully in control. You know? And they, they're even expert even pretending like the husband is, yes, he is in charge. Until the, the husband sees a certain look in the wife's eye and he's like, oh, uh oh, you know. <laughs> 
Or some, they'll, sometimes they'll bark something quick at him and then he's, and the husband's like, he was right in line. <laughs> so, you know, men like, but men, men like to do that. I'm macho. And the woman's like, yes, you are. <laughs> you know. Yes, my love, you're as macho as I say you are. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people in the world, they look at, at the Indian culture and they think that uh, the women are not respected, but um, they truly, really are. It, the divorce rate in India is 3%. I mean, people fall in love, you know. They just fall in love, and they stay in love. And they don't sleep around. You see, this, this, it's not culturally accepted. It's just not. Unwanted pregnancy uh, pregnancies are, are very rare. Even if they weren't planning it. Honey, I'm pregnant. Well, it is okay. What is one more potato? <laughs> one more potato. You know, that's that's their attitude towards life and their and their relationship. Honey, we don't have enough money. Uh, I'm sorry I can't make more money. It's okay. All right, Krishna, Michelle. Bye, thank you so much. Good to see you. You know, so it's a different, it's a, it's a very uh, interesting and very pure culture. Can they get on your nerves? Oh, yeah, they can get on your nerves. You know, but their culture is different. The Indians don't go out of their way to, there's nothing false about them, you know. Like, they don't walk up to you and say, hi, how are you? People say that in the West. And, uh, you know, nobody really wants to know how you are. I just feel like I'm supposed to say that. In England, they don't like to do that. They don't. In Britain, you make, uh, when you're in London, and you say to somebody, how are you? They're thinking, oh, God, now many people want small talk. The Brits don't do small talk very well. They hate it. You know, so they'll say, good, yes, yeah. And they're thinking, oh, he wants to talk. Oh. Good weather today, huh? Not raining? You know, like, they don't say that to each other. They may say, tap of the morning to you, you know, or something like that. Or just, but only to somebody they really know. They don't walk down the street saying, how are you today? <laughs> Have a good day. You know, they... So there. Well, you were talking earlier about it, just trying to be a friend to everyone, though. So it's, it seems like the Americans are, are somewhat better than that than most cultures. Well, but I don't think it's very genuine for most of us. Mm. It's like small talk. Yeah, it's small talk. You're talking about small talk. Yeah. You're talking about like, uh, it's not really yeah. genuinely, genuine interest. Like when you walk into like a supermarket or something, you're paying for your thing, and they usually like say something like, "Oh, how are you?" or something like that, and then they say, "Oh, have a beautiful day." Next, you know, like yeah. it's, it's just something we say. It's not actually like I don't look at you, and I actually care. Like, how are you? You know, what so I mean? there's a difference in the intention and, and, and the 
if, if you've got time and you like to have fun with people, try this experiment. When you go and someone says, hey, how are you doing? You say, oh, I'm not doing real good at all. I'll tell you what. They <laughs> <laughs> start. What did I get myself into? I didn't want to enter into this conversation. Yeah. You know, oh well. Yeah. Have, have, you, have you got a right. Have you got a minute? I mean, since you care, <laughs> can I take? What? Uh, sure. <laughs> you know. Wait a minute. I think they're paging. I didn't hear anything. Gotta go. I'll wait here. You know. You can go take care of your thing. I'll wait here for you. But since you, you know. I'd like to tell somebody this is horrible. You know, I've done that. Some people will say, "Oh my God, what's wrong?" You know, you sit down and they're well. That's pretty rare. You know, sometimes, you know, they're like, <laughs> look on their face. Oh, you're not supposed to say that. I don't know what to how to react. So I'm, you know, there's a little bit of uh, Americans are a little different in that way. You know, the uh, Indians are more friendly. But it's in a more real way, you know. I mean, it's easy to get an Indian to laugh. It's very easy to get, you know, to their sense of humor. They don't look like it, but it's very easy. And uh, and also, if you ever befriend someone uh, in many parts of Asia, but especially India, if you be, if you befriend them. Man, until you do something horrible, you're their friend. I mean, I'm talking friend, part of the family. And their children will call you uncle. I mean, you're just part of it. You're part of the family. You see? So, but it, it's, that's just a different culture. It's kind of like Hispanics. Hispanics are like that, too. They are. They are. Yeah. They're very much like that, mm -hmm. very uh, warm, but not very superficial, you know. In Mexico, people don't say, how are you? You know, they, they don't. We, we do it here. Uh, I don't know if they do it in France. I don't know. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. We're trying to be nice, but we don't. Totally want to know how, how they are. And we're ho I'm hoping you say, good, and you? I'm fine. It's just a, it, basically it's, I notice you, I'm, I'm acknowledging that I see you. And I'm wishing you well. I hope you're well. That's basically what that, uh, what it's like. You know, uh, in Australia, they'll say, good day, mate. Good day, mate. But they don't mean it. They just, <laughs> as if uh, you say, good day, mate. Yeah, good day. <laughs> okay, you said it, and I acknowledge that I heard it, and I'm back at you. So I have a question that's pretty unrelated to all that stuff. Um, hey, I, can you do me a favor and hang on to it for about two minutes? Yeah. Because I need to go. Uh, uh, 
The old man's room. It used to be the little boy's room. Yeah, so Christianity. Do you have any other questions? The 71 year old letter is important to ask the question. What? That's a little too racist here. What question is saying? Yeah. Did you, did you grow up Christian? Is there like a I was like, in the chapter of the Catholics. Catholics. Yeah. 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 I actually went to, um, you guys know Hamas? Like yeah. No. Oh, it's like, 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 Okay, cool. I went to a Catholic high school. Yeah, no, yeah, and then I went to South Central Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for real? Yeah, I went to Cleveland Central Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, so, really you know, get yourself growing up. So, like, you know. My dad's side of the family was Catholic, my mom's side was So this is something that came to me before, yes. even before I came here. Uh-huh. This was something that I, I came like before. Just think about it more yeah. in general. Just it just seemed like common sense. Yeah. 
It is, right? It just kind of clicks. It's it's just common sense. We're all so unique. There's, there's yeah, unlimited there's no variety. variety. To, like, there's, if, if there's unlimited variety here, yeah. and then, like, every like, set of fingerprints are different here. Mm -hmm. Right? There is unlimited variety or in, 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 in the spiritual realm. Like if you have the wisdom to Can't say heaven because heaven is still a material plan to make that distinction. So there's there's unlimited variety. The way you relate with Krishna is completely different. So so it has to be personal. It has to be personal. You see what I'm saying? It's very personal. And Krishna can appear and so he can he can expand himself in unlimited forms. So you you may think that you're you're the only one that's having Krishna's darshan or that's spending time with Krishna, but yet he's he's having all these intimate associations with everyone because he can expand himself unlimited. So it's not like hey wait a minute you know I'm, these people have my time you're gonna have to wait your turn yeah I'm giving these people my time and have you know you got these crowds around Krishna waiting in line for an autograph you know like just coming out. It's not like that. Man. Krishna has this way to make of making you feel you're the only one. Yeah. You're my very favorite. And the same thing with all innumerable living entities at the same time. And he can do that because he's God. And he's saying the truth. You are my favorite. Well, in the material world, everybody can't be your favorite. But if you're Krishna, yeah. 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 <laughs> See, like, I feel like this sounds silly, but like a lot of those things, like where it doesn't like logically make sense. So, to like the human mind, I usually just chuck it from all sins. Like I'm just like Jesus, those only conceptions that like humans have made up or humans have decided. You know what I mean? There's nothing that says that there can be everybody can be their favorite logically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Outside of humans, there's nothing that says that can't be. So that's why, like, for me, that's pretty hard to accept. That sounds, I don't know, that sounds weird to me. It's like, no, it's good. It's good. One God, many human thought is so limited. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And soul thought is unlimited. Yeah. And then, so that, okay, so the question I wanted to ask you was what do you think of, like, all the shamanic ceremonies and things like that. Oh, that's just I don't know if I understand them. So, like, what happens to like with a lot of people is they have to do these things to like they take certain like plant medicines or plant drinks or whatever to like release absolutely like every toxin from your body and make sure you're like all the way clean. And then uh, what's it called? You do pretty much like it's not the same as like this, but like. You like chant and you dance and you do all these things. It's it's a lot more like a ritual like that. And then at the end of the night, I think is when they do it. But then they take the ayahuasca that they brew and they make, and then for however long that lasts. But they call it divine of souls, and it's been around for a while. It's a it's a material activity. You know, no, yeah, no. But like, so it's based on the body. Mm -hmm. But do you think there's like any legitimate insights that could happen, or it's a step? Mm -hmm. Anybody who says yes, there is a God. Mm -hmm. That's pious. 
You know, it's not, it's not because you're not saying there is no God or I am God. Some people think they are God. Some people think that we're all God. So that's not pious. Or say there's no God, that's not pious. That's a realization you might get out of a ceremony like that. I'm God, we are God. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I guess it's kind of like a yeah. trick. No, it's not a trick. No, no. no. Not like, like, not intentionally. Like, I just mean like, it's you get so, kind of put under a subconscious trick, maybe. No, it's, 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 it's like, like if ayahuasca is done successfully, it should lead one to become inquisitive. Exactly. It should lead okay. one to want to know the truth. It'll it o it like opens you up to want to go beyond this material body. Right. Because the purpose of ayahuasca mm -hmm. is to do a lot of subtle body clearing. Exactly. The subtle body has nothing to do with the, with the soul. The subtle body is still material. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's okay? subtler, but it's still It's subtler, but it's still material. Mm -hmm. The only person that can heal, the soul, first of all, doesn't need healing. The soul cannot be touched, cannot be tainted in any way, shape, or form. But the only one who can reveal the nature of the soul is Krishna. Like when you come to Krishna consciousness. But it will help, it will help if you don't have all this baggage. And the subtle body stuff can be baggage, can be blockages that stop one from even pursuing the idea that there's a God. So as Guru Dave said, it's a step. That's mm -hmm. accurate. That's what ayahuasca is meant to do. It helps people. It helps people deal with a lot of subtle body issues. Mm -hmm. Stuff that's going on in the mind. Traumas that they might have experienced in the past. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what ayahuasca is good for. This DMT trip. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? That's what it's really doing. And ultimately, it's helping that person either in that particular life or the next. They're, they're, they're taking a step. In they're the taking direction. a step, yeah. <laughs> is so it going to deliver them to pure loving pure love of Godhead? No. Right, no, yeah, and I don't think that. But it's, it's, yeah. it's you know, it's right. helping. Anything that takes you to pure love of God is, is perfect. Whether you call it Christianity, yeah, whatever, Muslim, Muslim, whatever, whatever you want. If it'll take you, make you a pure lover of God, totally surrendered, then it's just like <clears throat> to ask God for stuff, to pray to God for stuff. Daily bread. That's pious. The pious do that. They're recognizing that there is a God, and that He is the source. That's pious. So, give me, give me daily bread. Help me pass this test. I will help me get this promotion. Let Mary Jane say yes when I ask her to marry me. You know, so give me, give me, give me, give me. So, that's pious. It's not real loving. Mm -hmm. Hey, God, you got it all. Give me some. Right. You know? So, yes. it's like the, the Godfather. He says, hey, God, just say, I don't care if you got everything. Just give me a taste every now and then. Let me dip my beak in it. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's not loving. Loving is, my dear Lord, you've always given me everything. Right. You're the source of everything. I don't have any resources, but I want to give you. I want to do for you. 
that's starting to feel some love. How can I serve you? You're like the unservable. Well, you're the source of everything. So I want you to empower me to serve the unservable. I want to do something for the source of everything. And only you, my dear Lord, can, can give me that potency to do that. And as far as me asking, the, uh, the devotees of Krishna, we never pray for God to give us stuff. Some people might. Actually, there are some people who approach some of the temples in India, and they do they pray, give me, make my cousin well, or you know, we don't do that. We're surrendered. But my dear Lord, have your way with me. You know, isn't that what lovers say? I'm surrendered. Have have your way with me. Do with me as you will. Whatever is your will, I'm down for. <clears throat> If that means that I'm sick, I have full faith that you wouldn't be cruel but mean to me. I have full faith that you're going to be even, even more kind to me than I deserve. So I'm not praying to be well. <laughs> what do I pray for? Don't let me ever forget you. And this uh, uh, sprout of devotion that I feel don't let that ever wither, please. That's what we ask. Give, give me service to you. Let me serve you. I have, I have no uh, doubt that you'll ever cease to serve me. You always have. Everything that I experience is, is coming from you. I need like I, air. I need air. You've always given me plenty of air. You've given me plenty of water. You know. So you, you will take care of me. You are my dear most friend and my ever well-wisher. Now that we've got that out of the way, what can I do for you? So that's the prayer. Please engage me in, in, in serving you in some way. So you have to admit that is a little bit more loving than, hey, give me some stuff. Give me, give me, give me. Right. You just minimize God's so one order taker. It's not very loving. If you just but it's pious. It's we're, pious. We're not criticizing. That's but, pious. But this is what separates Krishna consciousness from every other form of religion. For yeah. me, this is this is this was a major. This was what the revolutionary idea for me was the idea that I can do something for God, not that I need something from God. You know that changed the game for me. I realized that this is a whole other mm -hmm. level of love. And this is a real definition of what devotion is. Because most people in Christianity, not to pick on them, I was a Christian all my life, mostly they just want something from God. They, they just want to get something, or they, they're trying to acquire some destination. So either something or some destination, and they're trying to avoid something. So I better, I better do this to avoid that. See, that's the idea of a lot of Christianity. Not and the Hindus are the like same that. way. Yeah. They go to the temples, they make some offering, and they know I'm going to get some goodies now. Right. I'm pious, so God owes me. I make some offering, I make some prayers, I offer some praises. And so now, I'm going to get that promotion, or I'm going to get to the circuit.
I'll meet the girl or the man of my dreams. It's a business. And it's pious because they're going to God for this. That's pious. But there are levels above that. Do I know of? I, I know you'll take care of me. I don't want for me what you want for me, my dear sweet Lord. I want you, and if I surrender to you, that means I'm open to your plan. Hey, I, I had plans, but now I want to hear your plan. Whatever it is, I want it. Just lay it on me. I'm, you know, it's like, uh, uh, it's like this drum, you know, or a guitar. A guitar is totally surrendered to the musician. You can play it any way you want to. It doesn't add any chords or, you know, it'll just, sure, it's like, have your way with me. And because of that, the guitar makes beautiful sound. So if we, if we are like that with God, I want, just use me as your instrument, my dear Lord. Krishna will say, sure. That's our natural relationship. You're my loving instrument. But if you, to the degree that you hold back for yourself, you can't get the full taste. And you're still a good guy. You're still religious and you're still pious. Yeah. But you ain't all the way there yet. You see. And you may want a different personality of Godhead. You may want, a lot of people prefer a personality of, of God that instills awe and reverence. You know, because I don't really want him like here, not like in my house. I want him to be at the church or at the temple. And when I need him, I'll go see him or I'll pray to him. But I don't really want him like in my face. You know, well, that, does, that means you're not fully in love with him. <clears throat> doesn't mean you're a jerk or a demon. You're, you have more consideration for yourself than you do for him. Okay. That's a flaw for the soul, but you know, you're still pious. But when you can get, get rid of that, through uh, practicing Krishna consciousness, you come to the realization that I got it made. I'm a part and parcel of the Supreme Godhead. And when you start to learn about him, you want him with you all the time. He's saying you don't want him to. So then, for for that uh, adhikari or that level of, of understanding, God isn't just in the temple. He is there, but he's here too. No matter where I go, he's he's still here. So we're together all the time. So. Not, and it's not to criticize, it's just those are some, some difference of realization of the personality. If you want uh, God to be, uh, if you want his personality on reverence, then that's what he'll give you. You know? Sergey, have you noticed anyone at like these ceremonies or like in videos or something, in case you haven't been in person. Uh -huh. 
chanting Hare Krishna or doing anything of the spiritual nature is it mostly like so voodoo sort of that's what I said some of it does seem voodooish and that yeah. stuff turned me off but there was some things like uh, like there was one thing that interested me in, uh, and that's why I brought the question again was because um, a long time ago like that was something I was interested in the first place before I had any kind of spiritual inclination at all because that's kind of what I thought was that it would at least get me like in the yeah. you know what I mean something to pique your interest in that yeah and then so like but uh, the other day I saw that there was this thing I could watch uh, it was called The Last Shaman and it was about this guy who he was like all depressed or whatever and like the shamanic ceremonies were like the last thing he could think of that would like maybe help him you know what I mean yeah and when he went the first guy uh, the, or the first shaman he was talking to um, it kind of surprised me because usually when people do any kind of like like any kind of uh, psychotropic thing, not even just DMT, they usually don't have visions that have to do with like Christianity or anything mm-hmm. like that. But this guy said that like uh, he had this vision like uh, as soon as it started, like Jesus appeared before him as if it was like at the Last Supper, and he was like, "What you drink with your brothers is what I drink with mine," mm-hmm. and it was showing like that whole thing. And I just thought that was pretty interesting. And then like uh, what's it called? What was the other? Like I don't know, I can't do that anyways. Huh? Like another psychedelic documentary. Yeah, yeah, that's one of them, but... That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. you're going to say this. No, no, thing. I was going to say, it's not voodoo, it's not voodoo-ish anything. Huh? These people mean well. Yeah. Yeah. No, these, these, people, these people mean well. I have friends that are shamans. <clears throat> they mean well. But they can only give you what they know. They can only take you so far. Their expertise you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's interesting, because I have a friend that... Um, she was starting to come at, at the time I, I was going to church and i was very into it and i invited my friend and she decided to come but she was also very inclined to the shaman and things like that and she um she told me she told me that she was she went to this uh, psychedelic trip and she started seeing jesus in it everywhere <laughs> in trees and people yeah. in in her vision yeah. And she's like, Jesus is real. Jesus, like you know, He's like it encouraged her right. to, you know, go towards Jesus. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem I have with that. <laughs> Nobody knows what Jesus looked like. As a historical figure, huh? As a historical figure or a spiritual being? I don't know. I mean, I don't think he. As a historical figure, there is. There's no pictures. He certainly doesn't look the way, you know, with the red hair and blue eyes and mm-hmm. white skin, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. why would he be different than everybody at the time? And there's no historical records of what he looked like, his appearance, there's no paintings. So what does he look like spiritually? I don't know. There's just descriptions of that, like, like, um, Lions, manes, and symbolic things like swords coming out of his mouth and fire and well, this yeah. sort of thing. So my problem is when you say you you, you see Jesus everywhere, I think maybe we'll you're seeing something that looks like the impression that you have of Jesus, but we don't know what Lord Jesus Christ looked like. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. It's not in the Bible. So... But the chances that he looked the way we depicted in the Western world, 
Yeah. Chances that he looked that way. I don't think so. No, he looked more like a Middle Eastern man, if anything. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah. Probably dark hair and dark more than likely, skin. Yeah. I, don't know. I think the only thing that we have the, um, to like kind of picture him is like the, the stories of like people that like have near death experiences or kids having um what what was it? Yeah, a kid that had a, a near death experience and like he painted Jesus. Yeah, or but something. at the end of the day, it's still like like it, it's things like that. There's, there's nothing written. I would still it's say, like, what he said, it's it's probably more of like what you're picturing Jesus yeah, to look like. Yeah, yeah, right. And it, right. and whatever you're, whatever is gonna get you to believe that you're actually seeing Jesus. If Jesus wants to reveal himself, he's gonna make it in the most convincing way possible, which is your image of him. Not right. like some it's random like Middle East ever expected. That that yeah. you know, like looks yeah. very I, I think noble. if if you if yeah. Jesus revealed himself to you in his original oh, real true. form, I think you're gonna know it. You're gonna recognize him. That's like his you're gonna like, I, I know who you are. Yeah. So yeah, anyone trying to think anyone trying to plan ahead like he's a white guy, he's a brown guy, I feel like that's completely scientific. No, yeah, it's gonna be yeah. So, that's right. like what he looks like. We know what uh, Julius Caesar looks like because they made statues. You know, and that since they're statues of him, they probably look like him, and maybe even a little better than he looked. Julius, he, did, he 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 had them made. <laughs> they made statues of Krishna when he was on. You know, they made people wanted to make statues of Krishna to worship Krishna. So we know, at least 5,000 years ago, when Krishna was on this planet, what did he look like? And different people made statues, and they all looked the same. And some of those people were on different parts of the world and never met. Right. And, and there was no internet, so they couldn't go on the internet and find it. So logic is, all right, I guess he looked like this. But our scriptures give... Clear uh, description of Krishna. Plus as well. the scriptures. So described. that's that's you. Shastra Shastra describes Krishna in full detail. But the it, the, the Shastra wasn't. It didn't precede him. Right. Right. So as, as he went from say Vrindavan to Dwarka, yeah, the people in Dwarka maybe. It may be, I don't know how many years before they read what's been uh, written. I see what you mean. So yeah. they saw Krishna. He's so beautiful. We want to make a likeness so they carve. I see. That's what you mean. You know? It's like what Dwarf is, what, two, three hours away from, from, from Don? By plane. By plane. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's far. It's pretty far. It's about as far as from Kansas City to. Savannah, Georgia. Mm. Yeah, because Dwarka is right on the coast. Yeah. What is it? The West Coast? West Coast. West Coast. Yeah. West Coast. Right. Oh, well, I gotta go. Thank you for coming. Mm-hmm. So good to see you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Good questions. Thank you. Nice <laughs> to see you too. Nice to see you. Welcome. Boy, that Chaitanya Lila, she's such a good cook. Can you see? Yeah. I feel like I saw Jesus. I, uh, I thought about it one time, but I'm not about that stuff anymore. The vegan's good. That's like a... Well, 
if you skip the party. You know, yeah. one time, man, in 1968, I played Black Sabbath at 78 speed, <laughs> and I saw God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one thing I'm pretty sure of is that I want to, I, I just want to find my, whatever I need to find spiritually, like, through reading and talking to people. That's, that's something I just, um, yeah. Not, not that they're like jars. That seems like a bad idea. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like a very. Uh, no one likes the Jew. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I was born a Jew. My mother's a Jew. That yeah. makes me a Jew. And so, but she wasn't very religious. So to get out of the house, I was invited to the Baptist church. To get out of the house, I wanted to go. And my mother said, go, do it, go. I wanted out of the house, and she probably was glad that I was getting out of the house, you know. And so, um, many years I went to the Baptist church. And then, in my teen years, I married a Polish girl. And she's Catholic, Polish is, I, was, I grew up in Chicago. But there's all kinds of everything. Sorry, I to ask, but can I get that out? I think both of the kids are like locked. Yeah, I'm gonna watch That's it. We're gonna sleep like. Yeah. <laughs> are, are, yeah. are you in the parking lot? <laughs> no, the parking lot. No, I can let you go. Okay. Where's my? I guess all of those are this, but I don't know if there was a conclusion. Leave it up. Leave it unlocked because I got to go too. So I got I got to know Baptist side, the Catholic side, the Jewish side. And so that started me on a quest to find out more and more. What do these people, what does everybody think about? I'll leave the gates open for you guys. And I had, I had, everywhere I went, I always had questions that couldn't be answered, you know. And I was told a lot of times, there's just some things God doesn't want you to know. You know, because I had these questions. And um, when I started reading Bhagavad Gita, my questions started being answered. And it didn't make it didn't make me lose my faith in everybody else. It just made, like we said before, it connected the dots. I started to understand, you know. So not that everybody else is wrong; they're right. But this is like um, an addition to what's to the truth. See what? I, does that make any sense? Yeah. No, I. So look, I guess that's why I came here today. Like, I it was very like I've been having a a weird day. It felt like and just randomly I was like, oh, six twenty. Looked at my email and I was like, <laughs> oh, I, I guess I can That's come exactly here. when I sent it. I sent it a little before that. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just like, oh, I guess I should come today because I'm free. And well, it's right before did. all my school starts, and it's right before I hopefully get a job. Hopefully, oh, I get a job tomorrow. Summer, right? it, it's just like right before everything's gonna probably get crazy and I want to try and get build my foundation right you know I don't want to be swept away in the, in the storm as, as it says in the Bible like yeah, it, you know what I mean like yeah I want the strong foundation and like I really expect that's a great thing for me to say like it, it's I really expect to find it right now I expect to find it like I need to be reading stuff I need to be if, listening if you, to people if you expect to find it you, you will find, find it. it. Mm -hmm. 
More than likely, you've already got a big taste of it, or you wouldn't be expecting it. You would feel lost like everybody else, still looking for it. Yeah. And still feel like, well, nobody really knows. You recorded it a lot?